Hello and welcome to episode 174 of the Random Town Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And we're calling this episode, uh, this, is a, this is a quality one, Elementary, my dear Watt son because i uh, uh i that delivery i get it because what yeah because pikachu and yeah because we're talking about electric mouse turned private eye uh detective pikachu uh, i'll have impressions later in the show of that this is also the first episode since i came back from australia um and i feel like so much has happened or not happened in these past couple weeks depending on how you look at things i mean we got another wave of cool interesting switch indie game news which we'll of course break down a bit later We've got some third parties doing compilations on Switch, which we'll talk about later. And there's just kind of this like growing role of nostalgia, really, and Switch's success. That's that's something we're going to touch on in relation to all the game announcements this episode. So we'll talk about that. And yet, at the same time, we have all that. But some of the biggest news you think would be on Switch wasn't on Switch. No Dragon Quest. No Spyro. No uh, Shenmue. So it's kind of a weird hodgepodge. And there's Nintendo itself who, like, they managed to keep the news, keeping the news cycle just off rumors and interesting ones at that, but they actually had nothing of their own to really share. So we'll be talking about all that throughout the episode, um, along with the impressions I mentioned. There's timestamps over at Ramtown.com for those who are interested in anything in particular. Otherwise, uh, it starts off, I believe it or not, have gaming tales from Australia. Actually, I have many now that I think about it, not just a couple, but uh, I, I could, I could talk about how I left my Switch on the airplane. That was an adventure and a half. Like the the plane when I came to LAX, the switch was there. It took me ninety minutes to realize and I had to race back. Ninety to the minutes. Yeah. So I I came back. Uh, if anything, I'm just more surprised that you of all people forgot anything. So here's what happened: the airplane has. I was lucky enough to be in a seat that could recline pretty far, and there's a gap between the seat and the armrest, and the gap is the exact size of my switch case, and the seat's the exact color of my switch case. So in my after fourteen hours of flying, flying like weird head space i put stuff into my bag and i was like okay there's two things that need to go in my bag and i put them on the seat and i put them in the bag but i only put one thing in the bag i'm like oh the other one must be there already even though i obviously did not put it in the bag i just like well if it's not in the seat it's in the bag so so i uh left the plane went and got food got home nine minutes later opened the bag and had a panic attack because I did not have my Switch or any game but one. You were already one. home? That's I scary. was already home. So I, the only game I would have been able – if I lost my Switch and its games, the only game I would have had was Doom, which I loaned to you. But I wouldn't have had a Switch to play it <laughs> So I literally had nothing. And I, of course, panicked. Like, what well, if it was stolen? What happened? So, like, I raced back to the – well, first I call the airline. And they're like, it's an honor system. Yeah, it's too soon. I'm like, well, how – what if they turn around the plane? I don't want the – switch in australia while i'm in america that's just gonna prolong this whole thing who knows by then like mario tennis aces could be up by the time i get this thing back at that rate it could take months so i race to the airport thinking maybe i can get there before the plane leaves which i do but the plane's at a hangar on the other side of the airport being deep cleaned because it's an international flight and they do those things so i ended up having to sit in the airport for like two hours after I talked to like the check-in agent person, she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll get it. We just need to wait for the plane to come back. It'll be 20 minutes. But then the flight got delayed because something went wrong with the cleaning. So long story short, I came home at like 730. I didn't get home for real until after midnight. But I did have my Switch and I did have my games. And all's well that ends well. It's a good life lesson for everyone out there. If you're in a seat that reclines very far to the point of being a bed, check the side of the seat because you may have a device that's the same color as your seat and you may lose it and you may do what I have to do. It did keep away the jet lag. I had zero tiredness <laughs> for those couple hours because I was like panicked. But man, I wish I would have seen that. Yeah, it was. It was like I was like racing to the airport under the legal speed limit, of course, because I I'm, I do not confess to any crimes here. But I was definitely 
weaving through traffic at said legal speeds at nine at night on a Sunday. But anyway, that wasn't the story I wanted to tell uh, because that has nothing to do with Australia itself. The thing that's actually kind of interesting is Australia, like you don't normally as- associate Australia with gaming, but there is some overlap. Like Australia is the only people pl- do in the sense that do I you? know their games are very expensive. Yes, that is true. I can confirm that. Also, one of their retailers, a company called JB Hi-Fi, they're like the Best Buy down there. They hand draw Wait, JV Hi- JB oh. Hi-Fi. So like Justin Bieber? I don't know. Hi-Fi. They um, hand draw art on their price. Well, all their price tags they make look like they're handwritten, kind of like Fry's does here in the state, but they're, in, but they're not. They're all pre-printed, but they do hand-drawn artwork on some at some of their locations, mostly in Sydney, I noticed. So there's some creative fan art of like donkey kong and zelda and kirby and yoshi and a few other things at their store but and yes prices are like 20 dollars more there but um no there is actually some bit of an intersection of gaming in australia like for one thing it's the only place in the world you can catch a genghis khan in pokemon go i got four of them now makes sense sense. so yeah what's, what's actually kind of funny is how much like my real life and pokemon go experiences kind of overlapped each other like let me explain. Like, none of the animals in Australia are ones we have here, obviously. Like, obviously, there's things we know about. The kangaroos, the wallabies, the koalas, what have you. But there's a ton of birds and like that you just don't see anywhere and never have seen before and don't really know what they are. So I feel like there are these situations where I'd be walking around and maybe I'd have Pokemon Go open and there's, you know, a silhouette of a Pokemon I don't have and I'd do the usual, like, ooh, what's that? And, like, catch it and that's that. But then I'd look up or put my phone away or whatever and see some creature in front of me. Like there was this bird in Sydney called the, I think it's like the Ibis or something like that. And it's this big white bird with this like huge beak and they're all over the place. So like pigeons, but if pigeons had like really creepy giant beaks. And I'd just be like, ooh, what's that? Like in the exact same like way that I'd be the, with the Pokemon in the game. And then I'd react the exact same way and be like, oh, I got to catch it. And like get a photo of the Pokemon. It was like this weird, I didn't expect this weird parallel. Like it sounds backwards and stupid, but I was like standing there like, is this what it's like to live inside Pokemon? Like, there's just all these things you've never seen before, and you just feel an urge to, like, catch them, in this case, on a camera. It's it really weird. Like, it, it was a weird parallel I didn't expect. But um, I'm sure, I'm actually, I'm sure it made it worse, is Pokemon Go also had that whole field research thing going. That started when I was down there. So I was in the game even more than I thought I would be, because um, I'd be checking to do the field research. The, actually, the mechanic, the mechanic of field research is kind of neat. It's basically, you're given, I don't know if you know anything about it. An excuse really. to capture the same pokemon over and over again no that's the thing it's a little it's a little different you're basically given these specific goals to achieve each day like spin five pokestops or catch three fire types or you know um throw two nice curveballs or something and if you complete each goal you earn a reward and then if you complete all the goals of a day you earn a stamp and once you hit seven stamps in a row doesn't have to be consecutive day it's just seven stamps you get a chance to catch something rare like moltres has come up come up from some people and ultimately that's how you get mew it's all under this guise of uh, the storyline that you're helping the professor do field research and whatnot. But what was kind of funny for me is that meant in Australia, because it launched when I was down there, that meant that I was whipping out my phone like in rainforests and on boardwalks by the Barrier Reef and in Sydney and in Melbourne and in all these places. I'm not saying I spent my whole vacation Pokemon going, but definitely more than I thought I would, which then made the whole weird parallel with seeing real, real animals and reacting basically the same way even weirder. Because, like, I don't know, it was just, it was a very, it's hard to verbalize, but it was a weird thing my brain was doing. It's just like, oh my god, so I need to get that whatever. It's like, I really don't, but I did anyway. Um, but more to the point, there is an actual Nintendo thing down under. There is a real <laughs> Nintendo thing, not just me talking about Pokemon. Um, it's called the Nintendo Experience, and it's 
one of the stranger Nintendo things I've experienced. I mean, its name is true. It is an experience of Nintendo. But uh, it's essentially Nintendo took over, like, the second floor of an EB Games in the heart of Melbourne. And they turned it into kind of like a mini Nintendo New York. So you go up, like, half a flight of stairs and you've got a typical EB Games section, but it's all Nintendo. And it shares space with this other half of that same half floor that is all Nintendo merchandise. Like, it's like a whole breadth of it, including... Breath of the Wild? Yep, they had Breath of the Wild merchandise. But including... This one was weird. They had a Game Boy LCD watch. But the packaging called it a Nintendo Entertainment System LCD watch. Like, everything about it was NES, but then the watch itself was all Game Boy. Like, they mismatched it or something went wrong. I don't know. But uh, that was a little weird. But if you then go up the other half of floor to the full next story here, you get to, like, a showroom of sorts, which is the Nintendo experience itself. And this is where it gets weird because it's 2018, the Switch has been out for a full year, and yet when you go to Nintendo Experience in Australia, there's not a single Switch demo unit anywhere in the experience. It's a time capsule. It really is, because you've got multiple Wii U demo units everywhere. you got kiosks, you got set up to fancy Wii U branded couches, and what's even weirder is it's a time capsule where someone from the future came in and was like, wait, but the Switch. So they have all these demo units for the Wii U, right? But then, like, it's flanked by signs and promo displays for the Switch and Nintendo Labo and Mario Kart 8. Well, actually, no, it didn't have Mario Kart 8 packaging. They just had Labo and Switch everywhere. And then, like, like you'll be at a kiosk and it'll be running Super Mario Maker, right? It's like, oh, cool, Wii U game, Super Mario Maker. Can I buy it? No, you cannot. They don't make the Wii U anymore. And right next to it, here's a stack of what you can buy starring Mario, which is Mario Odyssey, which is not at all Mario Maker. So it's kind of like a weird mismatch it's like apparently the nintendo you're experiencing at the nintendo experience is the one from a couple years ago where they didn't know how branding or marketing works like it was it was very strange or like you go a couch to play mario kart 8 on wii u and it's surrounded by switch boxes but there's zero indication there's a switch version of mario kart 8 also available you can just play the wii u one and then be like cool i guess i'll buy a wii u switch i, I don't know so like it, it would be fine if this was an eb initiative like it's just like oh it's out of date whatever but according to the employee I was talking with at the Nintendo Experience, Nintendo runs this themselves. This isn't like a thing where Nintendo just hands it off to EB and says, do what you gotta do. It's apparently one of only three Nintendo corporate-run spaces in the world. The other two being Nintendo New York and uh, a company store at their headquarters. And yet Nintendo themselves didn't bother putting anything for Switch 13 months into Switch's life. That's really unfortunate. It's really yeah. bizarre. Like, it's a nice space. It's just super bizarre. Bizarre enough that I'm going to actually, sometime in the next week, probably throw up a uh, photo gallery and an article together on Ramtown.com that shows how weird this is. So you can go check it out for yourself. So keep an eye out for that, everyone listening. But I will, spe- I will say as like a space, as like a, like a gaming area, it is kind of a nice spot to come and try games and complain, compete in tournaments. Like, <laughs> complain. Complain. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm doing. But I meant compete in tournaments. Like, uh, it's laid back. It's loungy. They have multiple couches and seating areas. They seem to do tournaments all the time. Did you um, enter any of these said tournaments? There was a Pokémon tournament the day... There was a Pokémon tournament, tournament the day that I flew out. So I saw it, but I couldn't... I wouldn't have won, and I couldn't have entered. But here's the weird thing. What system do you think the Pokémon tournament tournament was, was for? The Wii U? Yeah. There's not a single. I walked through it the day of the tournament. There was not a single sign saying. Also, there's DX on Switch. Nothing. It's just like, hey, here's Pokemon on Wii U. It is the weirdest huh. thing. Um, and they apparently at one point had a museum that showcased Nintendo hardware, but that's also now gone. So not really anything for that either. 
So I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little jaded because we're fortunate enough to have big things here in our backyard, like E3 and Comic Con, with all these demo opportunities. So it's like a demo space for a place where you don't necessarily have access to demos all the time. Nintendo Experience is kind of cool. It's just demoing the wrong things a year late, I guess. Yeah. But I did not know that was there when I went to Australia. I see I didn't miss much by not knowing it now that I've been there, but it's just kind of a funny, weird little pocket of Nintendo Pass stuck in the middle of a major city. So it, it, it was odd. But Did you know about this place going into no. Australia? Or... I, in retrospect, I remember hearing about it years ago, but no, I actually found out because one of our listeners hit me up on Twitter. like, oh, you're in Melbourne? That's where I live, which is really cool that he That's said awesome. hi. And then... Um, told me like oh check out the intense parents keep your expectations low is what he said or something along those lines and he was right he was right but yeah if uh but yeah australia is a cool place if anyone ever gets to go there's not much video game stuff but that's a little slice of it but if uh if you're paying close attention or not so close attention to anything i was just saying you may have noticed i said a couple b- big words like uh, e3 and tournament which if this were a game of word association would nicely bring us to our next topic which is e3 and its tournaments um while i was in australia I think it was one. Maybe it was before I left. I don't know. But Nintendo announced it has its first concrete plans for E3, a second Smash Bros. Invitational, as predicted, and a Splatoon 2 World Championship. And they're taking place June 11th and 12th, which is the day before E3, and E3 Day 1. And if I had to guess, and really what else is a podcast for except guessing and speculating, I would guess that Smash will probably be on Monday, June 11th at a special venue, while Splatoon will probably be in the booth on June 12th because i mean they can't I, I mean i guess they could host them both on both days you think the stage is big enough or you think there is another place besides the microsoft theater that they could use because i mean well they can't use the microsoft well theater yeah that's microsoft size, using yeah. the microsoft theater this year which i think we talked yeah we that's right we mentioned that last episode but i don't know i guess they could do the novo across the street in la live which used to be club nokia that could work it's not i mean it seats over a thousand it's possible but just kind of like i don't unless they use that i have no idea what venue they could use that's walking distance like if they want people to go to this on the first day of e3 it needs to be walking distance right and i don't know if there is a space except the novo that's walking distance and if that's the case i could see them putting splatoon in the booth like they did last year that worked out fine but i can't see them doing the smash invitational in the booth that seems too big especially because there's a day where no one can get into the booth. So that first day, that Monday, June 11th, there is no way to get in unless you're with Nintendo. So they need some venue somewhere. So it's probably the Novo, but I don't know. They're saying that, without a doubt, Mario... Well, Smash Bros. was playable four years ago, right? At that first E3 that they had the invitation, or was yeah. it not? It. I think it... Oh, I don't remember. I think I kind of want to say I think it, it was. was, because I remember reading something about extremely long lines that yeah. everybody in the yeah, industry was. was getting it on. Was. Yeah. Just to play Smash Brothers, even the employees I will after they were done for the day. Well that's just to be clear, that is every Nintendo at every E three. Like the lines are ridiculous. No, that's it. Mario they did pretty well. Mario they cycled people through in under ninety minutes once they got organized. But the first day for Mario it was mayhem. Zelda was three to four hours. Even Jeez. just to go into the booth to watch Zelda, like just walk around and look at the whole Hyrule they built, that was a 30 to 40 minute wait just to get in the booth and not even get to play a game. You can only take pictures and walk around. So it's, yeah, Nintendo is very good at making themselves look very popular. And usually the popularity is true. It's just they, they, they seal off the booth in such a way sometimes that they artificially make lines. Mario, they didn't do that as much. It was free to walk around. 
I would imagine Smash would be playable, and I would imagine it would be kind of an open-air booth like uh, Mario was. But I don't think there's room to put the tournament in there. They had such a big turnout to that tournament. It's not like Splatoon or the Nintendo World Championships where it's like, how many people are going to show up to watch someone maybe do an Excite Bike track? Like, this is Smash Bros. This is a real eSport. Like, it, they need a bigger space. So, I mean, we'll see. But Never been to that Lenovo place, but... Uh, the Novo oh, is... The Novo? The Novo. Yeah, it's not Lenovo like the <laughs> PC. It's the Novo. Um, it is also a Microsoft venue, but it's separate. It's kind of... This is going to be useful to about two listeners well, the out there. You walk there into LA Live and you go right and then you go left and up the staircase. It's above the bowling alley. Oh, okay, okay. Three stories up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've been to there. I've well, been there I know for... I can think of the location, but I can't think of what it actually looks like. Well, I you definitely... probably haven't been in. Yeah, yeah it, it's interesting because it's like the inverse of a normal space where like – well, not really the inverse, but basically you have a small stage of a floor, like a dance floor that they could put chairs in. Then you have like a bar. See, this is why I'm not sure if Nintendo's going to do it. It has a built-in bar at that venue. You don't have to use it, but it's there. And then there's like a balcony that kind of slants very steeply down towards the stage. I've been, I've actually been there weirdly a lot because uh, for some of the auto show stuff I go to for work, they have after parties there and whatnot. Hmm. And I saw a Childish Gambino concert there back in like 2011, maybe. So And Lincoln Park there in like 2013. Well, look at you, so popular. Or well, going not... to popular things at least. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, I don't know. I mean, the the thing that I'm hoping is they do Smash a different day because I don't want to have to miss any E3 to go watch Smash, which I know is your concern too, right? Well, yeah, because it's so expensive. Yeah, because you actually are going this year too. This is the first year both of us will be going. Most likely, but yeah. I mean, most likely. You bought the ticket. Yeah. But <laughs> You're going to flip it? I mean, you can't. It's in your name. I mean, something could happen. True. But... Anytime we guarantee something on the show, there's always the little asterisk of unless one of us dies or is seriously injured or gets mauled by a bear. I mean, it doesn't have to be all negative. I could just be really busy for some reason. You just throw away $250 like that? Well, no, but I mean if... Yeah, I guess. Fair enough. I don't know. I have to pick up someone from the airport that's just beyond my control. Well, that won't. That hopefully won't take you all day. Hopefully it won't, but you know, LAX sometimes. That's true. I, I do. I drove there in a panic and sat for two hours waiting for my Switch. I know it well. But anyway, yeah, so that that's kind of what we know officially about E3. If you want to compete in Splatoon, anyone listening, Nintendo's doing an online open qualifier on April 21st with the final then on April 28th. There's info at battlefy.com. I don't know why I'm doing this public service announcement, but maybe someone listening <laughs> didn't know about this, so now you know. But that's, that's literally all we know officially about E3 so far. But since sec- uh, speculation is fun, there are a number of recent rumors that suggest there may be a few other things we're seeing. I mean, I think we can assume a game like Metro Prime 4 or Pokemon Switch could end up showing up. Animal Crossing's maybe a wild card, but they did do that weird thing where they were updating the website and it leaked publicly the update and it was like half done and it's a whole revamp it's like why are you revamping it what for animal crossing switch who knows so that may be there uh mm. fire emblem switch and yoshi feel like shoe-ins to me maybe whatever retro's working on whatever retro's were, you know what i think retro's working on i'm pretty sure have you seen those new idol animations in tropical freeze uh-huh. for switch i think they spent four years making those they're very detailed animations i'm pretty sure that's what they were doing for the last four years was just having donkey kong play donkey kong on switch it's makes very sense, meta makes sense. it makes total sense but um yeah there i the weird thing is there might be a different donkey kong there maybe i did you did you see this thing on go nintendo so nintendo italy posted on their instagram story supposedly a picture of a dk figurine next to a banana and text that roughly translates to good things come in threes there's no two without three and never two without three like some variant of those phrases is what they put in it it's like, why are you talking about threes if you're just about to release number two, Tropical Freeze, unless 
there's a third or unless it's fake who knows but i mean maybe maybe donkey kong's gonna make a surprise appearance it seems rushed like if you're doing tropical freeze in may it seems weird to then announce a new donkey kong in june at least give it when six the original come out uh you mean returns in yeah. like 2009 no 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 i mean tropical freeze oh uh 2014 oh so it has been long enough that in theory four years seems a reasonable amount of time to release a new donkey kong but a month after less than a month five weeks after um tropical freeze comes out on switch they're gonna be like here's another well it's not a long game and i guess they hope that the people that just played it are gonna love it so much that they just want more but yeah i guess i guess it's not i guess it's not much weirder than bayonetta one and two being announced in tandem with bayonetta three yeah yeah so okay maybe it's possible yeah i mean i kind of hope that's not what retro's doing i mean we really said i feel can't be treated like new games even if they're new to the majority of the of the platformer that's holders. fair that's fair i just i think if i was nintendo and i was trying to check the boxes i'd be like well we have a donkey kong we have a kirby we have a mario we have a zelda let's do a smash a metroid a kirby or not kirby an animal crossing like I'd probably try and diversify the IPs a bit. But yeah, you're right that a re-release is not the same as a new game. It is separate enough. So who knows? Maybe that's what's happening. I just, I just honestly hope it's not retro. Nothing against retro. They make awesome Donkey Kong games. But like, you don't need four years to make Country 3. you got to be doing something bigger. You're hiring people to do like narrative-driven stories and stuff. So unless this is Donkey Kong 64 2, Return of Lanky or whatever, like I don't know what retro would be doing that would make sense for for them to be doing donkey kong hmm. so i don't know it's I, I guess i'm cool with it i just think they could save dk for like next year and diversify a bit but we'll see I, i'm honestly personally more interested in the like weird new things nintendo's trying to do with switch um i don't know if this is going to show up at e3 or not but obviously labo is showing that they're willing to make switch not just a traditional game console and then there's this patent that popped up for essentially nfc trading cards like the patent describes these cards as having variously different pictures are depicted and a purpose thereof is collection and exchange namely the train cards are cards manufactured and sold aiming at exchange or collection of pictures on each surface thereof in other words they're describing a trading card game like straight up like pokemon train card game or magic or hearthstone but real life and this patent is basically the idea that all these cards would then beep into something and you can use them in virtual way or do some sort of virtual interaction with them. And separate from that, Sharp in Japan just a couple weeks ago showed a video that you could drop a card, an NFC card, on a screen. And the screen would instantly know what that card is and, and the interface would adapt around it in real time. Assuming it fell on the correct side, right? No. Or you just put the card down. I mean, they're, thin, they're paper thin, so the NFC oh, could gotcha, shine gotcha. through probably. But So in theory, this patent combined with that, that could be something interesting like we talked about the idea way back when amiibo needs like a central game and then we realized maybe it doesn't since amiibo is the last man standing of all the toys to life but what if like what if their central game we i think we threw around the idea of like a smash bros rpg card game sort of deal what if that's this or what if better idea what pokemon train card game just evolves into this what if they start putting fc in all the pokemon train cards because like what labo showed is you could you could have your switch on the side as an augmentation to whatever you're doing like with labo you fold your cardboard you do what you're doing and the switch is the instruction manual i don't know why you couldn't have like a traditional pokemon card game or nintendo card game going and on the side the labo is just basically the ref or doing enhanced effects or something or did i say the lab i meant the switch <laughs> but yeah 
yeah, the cardboard that's folded on the side just comes to life. No, but um, I don't know. It just seems like a really not far-fetched idea, actually, when you think about it. Like, it perfectly makes sense on Switch. Would you, if they did that, would you get into collecting these physical cards? Like, I know you have all the Smash Amiibo, but then you immediately stopped after that. Like, if they did this as, like, an actual card game, given your Hearthstone addiction, would you venture down that road, or is it too much money up front, probably? Um, I mean, outright, I would just say no. Not even because of the money. For one thing, it's just it's the collecting side of it. Yeah. I'm kind of... I'm done... Like, as you said, I'm done collecting Amiibo. Not going to get any more Amiibo, even if they introduce a new line of Amiibo to the new Smash Brothers. Just done with it. Right. I so had, are a lot of people, it seems. Yeah, I had my fun. I had my fun spending those 700 bucks that if I had waited a few weeks, maybe a few months for few years on some of them let's be real here yeah well i mean to be fair like some of them were just never made available again maybe like Fit was... trainer one and done yeah i mean villager had like a rerun but then you looked different yeah it was gone and you look different in the rerun yeah Reprint. so yeah like me me fighters there's a few but point is i don't want to go down that road and unlike hearthstone the fact that hearthstone is digital and it's still a card game just gives it the ability to do many things that you can't do in a physical card game yeah like producing cards out of thin air Right, right. And I mean, not that you can't have a fun card game. I mean, there's like Magic the Gathering and those kind of games are extremely fun. But yeah, I just can't do another collectathon. Yeah, I, I maybe it's like my age talking, but I it's too much now. <laughs> there's other there's other things I'd rather focus on collecting, like Supreme hats. You do own one now. Just... I own one, but I don't think I'm gonna get more than one. I know, but uh, yeah, no, it's. I I I, th- I actually think the age thing's an interesting point. If I was like twelve, or even in my teenage years, let's be honest, if I was like sixteen or seventeen, I would be all about a Nintendo collectible card game that interfaces with the Switch. Like you tap the card in, and then boom, it's like in the game, but also real life. Or even honestly, if this was in the peak of my Pokemon, Pokeholic days, I'd be totally into the idea of like a digital link between my Pokemon card and some sort of virtual version of the Pokemon card game like the Game Boy card. That would be amazing. I always wished that game, uh, the Game Boy Color game, which I love, would be able to import my real-life cards too. So if I was that age, I'd be totally into this. But yeah, as someone who's like in his late 20s, which sounds weird to say out loud. I think we're getting old. But uh, oh, no. yeah, we. but anyway, I, it seems weird to be like, let me just go buy endless booster packs of waddle d's and hope maybe there's a shiny ddd somewhere in there like that just seems foreign to me now like it's too much yeah yeah because i'm thinking more about like where am i going to keep these things as opposed to oh man i would want to get this and this and this like you get a binder and you stick them in and i mean i don't know um maybe my my faith in nintendo producing a card game right now isn't isn't too high i mean what if it was retro (laughs) <laughs> just throwing out what retro is secretly making a card game for maybe I mean I don't know I have, no, I have zero expectations for them because they went from a first person shooter to a platformer that's true so I mean it could be good I mean I don't know yeah but I'm, I mean they tried cards with um, Kid Icarus they weren't really used for anything they were they're literally just collectible it, it felt like they were meant to be used for a game because you had like your weapon cards you had like location cards character cards and I mean they had this whole little thing where oh put two cards in front of each other and they'll interact and they'll have, like, an animation and a soundbite. Yeah, but... what was the point of all that? And how did they... I don't remember. Did you scan them in? Did you tap them in? No, they were all um, AR. Oh, that's right. They were AR. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nintendo tried the whole AR thing. Wait. That almost solidified... Oh, sorry. Finish your point about Kid Icarus and I'll make mine. 
Yeah, so I mean, in the end, because there was really no point to them, like it's a one and done thing. They yeah. just and they just became space takers. Yep. And I, I don't know. I guess pessimistically feel like that that's gonna be the case again. Probably. I wouldn't want it to be because I mean, you know, fun. What I mean, if anything, I would like a self-contained card game where all the cards that you need to play are just there. So Mario Party E. Yeah, and there's like different sets. I guess you could think of them as expansions, but do not make it a collectible card game. Or trading well, right in the patent, they're collectible. They're made to be collected in exchange. Well, I mean, fine. Yeah. Yeah, but... Uh, no, but I mean, that doesn't mean they have to fall through on that. They can just yeah. patent the idea. But no, I think you made a good point when you said about the Kid Icarus cards. I'm a firm believer in the theory that Nintendo never gives up on an idea. I mean, e-reader cards like Mario Party E became Amiibo in a way. Um, why not make the Kid Icarus AR, like, interact with the game with AR? Okay, that didn't work. What if you scan them in? What if we flip the script and do it the other way around? That seems like typical Nintendo. Like, that's a very Nintendo move to be like, we tried it with Kid Icarus. We're going to get it right now with whatever these NFC Amiibo cards are. So that, that to me, almost... I, I totally forgot about Kid Icarus even being a thing. That's how little impact it had in the grand scheme of things that Uprising had this. But, uh, yeah, I that, to me, suggests this is probably going to be a real thing. Or at least something they're experimenting with pretty heavily. I mean, Labo they experimented with for a long time. We didn't know because they never publicly said it. But oh man, then they have some cards that you can only get on. I think they get either Nintendo Power, or Game Informer. Or... Yeah, yeah, they had exclusives in all sorts of magazines. And they had another like couple cards that were exclusive only to the strategy guide. They went all in on it, and nothing came of it. Yeah, <laughs> they also sold them at Target. Or yeah, actually, no, they didn't. You had to get them from events like Nintendo. They gave event. them out at Comic Con. Yeah, you? like at Comic Con and those kind of things, and they gave them like in group like packs of three. Yep. Yeah, and then I mean they sort of tried it with Amiibo. They had the Animal Crossing Amiibo cards, which didn't have a game attached. You just scan them in as characters, and they had the Mario Sports Perfect. cards, which I bought a booster pack of just to say I have it. But those had no real purpose. So yeah, if they do, have to do it right. So what I started to say is um, this interview came out about Labo, like a, it's almost like an Iwata asks, but without Iwata, obviously. And um, it's just a developer interview, and they're talking about how they've been prototyping this forever, and like they did focus tests, and people just hated it, and like one of the lead designers almost cried over it because he was like, "I don't understand. What don't they like?" Like, <laughs> it took a lot of work for Labo to turn into what it is now. So even though this patent exists, it may be a while, if ever, before it sees the light of day. So I don't know, but it does very nicely all of this idea of expanding, like augmenting the Switch with this other stuff. It very nicely ties in with something Nintendo's doing right now that is real and actually happening, which is they just opened up a venture capitalist investment fund for ideas of how to enhance or augment the Switch. What? They've never done this before. So according to Bloomberg, they teamed up with this company called Scrum Ventures, who is a venture capitalist firm, and they're specifically looking to find and invest in new, quote, components, sensors, chips, or other add-ons for Switch. That's the first time Nintendo's ever done something like this, just basically an open casting call for cool Switch, for cool like hardware ideas for their system. So, you know, whatever form that may be, be it well, these are NFC Amiibo cards or a Labo situation or something totally out of left field that Nintendo can't think of themselves, like, it seems like they are very, very willing to do weird new things with the Switch. It seems like they have kind of, like, realized, come to the full realization that they have essentially a little computer tablet that can do all sorts of little computer things. Like, it doesn't have to just be with the Joy-Cons, it doesn't just have to be with one thing or another they could get real wild and crazy, which you couldn't really say about Wii U because it's all one piece. You could sort of say about Wii, like people are doing medical experiments with the Wii remotes, but Nintendo didn't really push as hard on it. But this, this is for them, this is big. Like to basically open it up like this is very un-Nintendo. 
So it'll be interesting to see. Hopefully it pays off. Yeah. It also pairs nicely with these recent comments from Shinya Takahashi, who is one of the heads of Nintendo EAD, and he at BAFTA, which is the uh, like the British Art and Film and Television Academy, they have a video game award. And he just, in the middle of an interview, just casually, completely unprompted, was like, Nintendo constantly works on hardware, so we have been doing some research and development. You may see the new system sometime in the future. Okay. I don't know why you shared that. I mean, I don't think we're going to see it at E3. I don't think this specific quote relates to E3 the same way the NFC cards could pop up at E3. But it shows, again, that Nintendo's just constantly looking at evolving things. Like, he could mean a whole new hardware. He could mean a some sort of uh, retrofit of the Switch, a new iteration of the Switch, something that's built on top of the Switch. Whatever it is, Labo, when it comes out next week, is literally just the beginning of a weird range of Nintendo add-ons I think we're going to be seeing. Like, more crazy than Wii's, like, Zapper Gun, except. I know we've heard of it before, but because of the design of the Joy-Cons, I'm wondering what they can really do to the Switch to redesign it outside of just, I don't know, I guess improving the... They could do... The under-the-hood stuff. They could do portable only and make it cheaper. Oh. That's what they could do. Yeah, that's the only one that makes sense. Yeah. That's the one. It'd be like a Switch Mini or a Switch Lite or whatever. And then they could sell it at probably half to two-thirds of the price. And then they can bring in the 3DS crowd that is looking for the cheaper system. Hmm. Now, I don't see them doing that anytime soon. 3DS is still selling well enough. They're releasing games into 2019 now for 3DS. But that, in theory, is what they could do. Or flip the script and go the other way, do a cheaper home console-only version. But I seriously doubt they'll do that because they still need the motion controllers. And at that point, what you know? What is it that much cheaper to just solder the Switch to its base versus just giving you a Switch you could pop out? So, yeah, but that, that I think, is what they would probably do. Hmm. But for now, all we've got from Nintendo are these cryptic comments and rumors. We have nothing else. So that, that's it for like the Nintendo news. I mean, Indies, on the other hand, they continue to provide real, official, actual announcements at a very steady rate, which is a nice little transition into that because, I mean, it's been busy. It's been busy these last few weeks. We had GDC. We had PAX East. In Europe, we had EGX. And through all those and outside of those, we got word of all these different indie games. I mean, it, now there's stuff like uh, Indie Darling Firewatch is coming to Switch. Uh, that's the one where you're playing. It's like first person and you're a forest ranger. And it's supposed to actually be this really compelling story about isolation and human interaction and all this other stuff. And the Switch version is going to come with all these Switch enhancements, supposedly. So that's one to keep on your radar. Um, but we, we got that out of nowhere. We somehow got both an announcement and release of uh, Don't Starve just since our last episode. So just in the last two weeks, which that's a pretty big get. It's, it's actually kind of ironic since um, that's the exact type of big name indie game I feel like. It, that's the one when, last episode when we were talking about how the Nindy showcase needed big name indie games to kind of get some extra buzz I feel like Firewatch and Don't Starve are literally the two that would have made the difference and instead of announcing it then they just sat on them another week it's very bizarre some of the things Nintendo does I don't know but here we are anyway with both coming out so that's cool um, but those games are just scratching the surface that's just kind of surface level stuff there are a few we'd like to talk a bit more about thanks simply to the fact that the developers have actually shared more about them. I mean, Don't Starve is out. You can go play Don't Starve. There's nothing for us to say unless we have impressions. But Firewatch, all we know is this gang enhancements. But then you start hearing about these other games, starting with like the newest one from the gang over at 13AM. 13AM Games, they made Runbow. Amazing game. Amazing game. Literally the most Nintendo-feeling indie game I think that's ever been released. It is right at home on Wii U to the point that Nintendo treated it like a first-party game in its marketing, basically. It was insane. And their new project is called Double Cross. And it switches out the kind of like Mario Kart meets Smash Bros. But in 2D approach of Rumbo. 
and puts a more traditional single player platformer in its place. In Double Cross, you're playing his character na- as his character named Zara. You're responsible for solving mysteries across multiple dimensions because you're an agent of what they call Rift, which is regulators of interdimensional frontiers and technology. Roll draft the tongue. And uh, to do this, you use what appears to be some sort of combination of like a bionic commando grappling system and a Yoshi's Island style item throwing system. And you're exploring various stages, each set in a different dimension, each with a different theme, and you can upgrade your abilities along the way and all that. It's like pretty standard platforming stuff, but there is that hook of you're swinging around using a grappling hook, and that same grapple also is kind of an arch-throwing mechanic thing, just like Yoshi's Story. And I'm going to be honest here. The only reason I have any interest in this thing whatsoever is because of the developer's pedigree. Like, if this came from Generic Studio X and not 13AM Games, I'm not sure it'd be on my radar because while I do like the mechanic of Bionic Commando and Yoshi being smashed together, the game kind of looks a bit generic. Yeah, it kind of does, unfortunately. Yeah, like, the gameplay variety seems nice. Especially coming from some, like, a developer that had a really creative visual style. I mean, it was simplistic, but it really stood out. The vector art worked really well for Runbow, and this is, like, not as well i mean there's some cool there's some cool stuff in there like apparently different dimensions will have different gameplay slants someone will some will be more puzzle platformer some will be more beat em up but if you stuck this game in the middle of any any like nindy sizzle reel i don't know if it would stand out very much there's some aspects that stand out like the art is relatively clean there's some interesting characters there's this giant body lifter broccoli looking dude named sergeant sprout iron bulk who caught my eye, <laughs> but Sprout Iron Bulk, but he's not iconic in the way that like the entirety of the Rumbo cast was, you know, and I, and a part of that's because the Rumbo cast was also other indie characters from other games, but ignoring that, just like the core Rumbo people still had a very distinct, unique look. And I'm sorry, Sergeant Sprout Iron Bulk, but while you do look unique, it doesn't click in the same way, at least for me. So I don't know. Like the idea is solid. It's just not as Nintendo-y as Rumbo is. Maybe that's what the issue is. Like, it doesn't have that instant, like, yep, feel. Nothing really screams, like, must play, except for the fact that it's by 13am Games, which is why we're even talking about it right now. Hmm. So, I, I don't know. It kind of reminds me of when, like, Way Forward and Mummy Demastered last year. Like, the game's good. The developer's pedigree is solid. Yet something about it's just kind of generic. And you don't really think about it or talk about it or ever hear about it. It just kind of is. It just flies under the radar. And I hope Double Cross doesn't because 13M Games, assuming this lives up to Rumbo, deserves success. But like, ah, it's just it, my gut feeling is it's just gonna fly under the radar a bit. It just doesn't pop, you know. But I don't know. We'll know soon enough. I might be overly concerned about nothing. But it, considering you came to basically the same consensus as me, that um, Double Cross is kind of meh visually. Yeah. Yeah. I suspect. I suspect we're not the only two that think this. But but we'll see. Hard to say. Well, hopefully it changes, but as you said, we will have to see. Yeah. On, on the other hand, you then have games like Pixel Junk Monsters 2, which that's bound to do well simply because it finally exists. I mean, this was actually announced back at GDC. It should have been in our last episode, but due to the early recording, it didn't happen. But it felt unfair not to give it a chance, so now we're talking about it. But it, what I was going to say is, like, this game has been a long time coming. If, if you're a Nintendo-only gamer like me... You may not be super familiar with Pixel Junk Monster um, from back on the PS3 in like 2008, but it's quite possibly the most beloved Q Games Pixel Junk game, or really any Q Games game they've ever put out. And that's counting games on Nintendo platforms. You know, they've done Xscope, 
uh, Xscape, I mean, not Xscope, the Xscape on DSi, that was really cool. They did Star Fox Command for Nintendo. Uh, a lot of people are like, that's not real Star Fox, but it was a kind of fun mashup of Star Fox and RTS games. And now, and you know, they're known for that, but Pixel Drunk is like their brand bar. Pixel Drunk Monster is the real big one for them. And the studio, I mean, it's run by a dude who knows his stuff. It's run by Doug uh, Cuthbert. He headed up the original Star Fox development for Super Nintendo. So he Uh-oh. has some pull. Well, he came up with the idea of Star Fox. I mean, Miyamoto made Star Fox what it is, but Wouldn't the idea have been of... better without the idea of Star Fox? I don't know. No, because anyone have Star Fox Assault, and you love Star Fox Assault. Yeah, but it's one good game worth having... One bad game, in your opinion? Six bad games. Whoa. Whoa. Shots, five, six. All right, rank the Star Foxes. Let's go. Star Fox Assault. Okay. And everything else. Wow. All right. Uh, well, I guess in your mind, it's basically a one-for-one trade in that case. <laughs> but no, you, I mean, I know you're on like 64, but like... No, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. I know. You have to give credit. Like, their Adventures was a solid Zelda knockoff. Uh, 64 I love 64 3D was 64 but in 3D uh, what else is there Zero was an interesting control experiment that hindered a good game a little um, oh you mean that wasn't its review score on the title ooh shots fired again you're on fire right now <laughs> no it's I'm trying to remember the others Assault obviously you like Actually, Armada, I, or Armada became Assault um, I do like on the DS one Tactics? No, that's not Command. Yeah, that's the one. His company, Q Games, made Command. Well. So he redeemed himself in your eyes then. Yeah, he did. Same dude. Yeah. All right. I'm done ranking Star Foxes. I think I forgot a few too, but whatever. Star Fox 2 was an interesting piece of history. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just – yeah, so what, what I was getting at though is it it's just that Q Games does all this stuff, but they're known in many ways for Pixel Junk Monsters. So it's kind of cool that here it is. And anyway, point is. Now we're getting a sequel. Courtesy of uh, Spike Chun's, uh, Chunsoft taking over publishing roles. Uh, it'll be coming to Switch. It'll be coming to PS4. And it'll be coming to PC next month. Very soon. And it's quite an upgrade. So the original... did You you played the original, right? For a few minutes or something? I, I vaguely remember playing it for PSP. Yeah, because it, it's a tower defense game. It was on PS3 and then PSP. It was 2D. It's just a really well-made tower defense game, but it was yeah, a tower you, defense game. You, you pick different types of monsters. Some monsters are act as just infinite little turrets. You have other stronger monsters that destroy stronger enemies. Yeah, and it go and it's sectioned off into levels. So you have like a little open world that you can. Well, it's not even that open. It's just the I think the overworld map from Super Mario 3D World. That's basically what it is, and how you go from level to level. But for some reason, I remember there being a 2, but I think I was just thinking of Pixel Junk Shooter 2. Yeah, that they one. did a sequel for Shooter. They never did a sequel for um, Monster, weirdly enough. But Which was ne- also an interesting, I guess, take on the on the shoot 'em up because it was more of a, a quasi-explore shoot 'em up where that involved a lot of liquid manipulation and how you handle water and when do you solidify it, when do you turn it to ice. It was, it was to cool. To be honest, that'd be cool to have on Switch. It would. It would actually fit pretty well i mean if monster 2 does well perhaps we'll get shooter 2 and 1 together in a pack who knows but but what's interesting about um monster 2 is gameplay wise you are getting basically the same thing but it sounds like every other way they're really revamping it like production value wise q games is going all out they're making the game like full 3d no more 2d sprites and they're allowing a new what are they calling it then still pixel junk monsters yeah even though it's not pixely at all it should be vector junk. 
at least, or polygonal junk. Yeah, poly junk. Poly junk. But uh, then it just sounds like they're dissing polygon on the <laughs> website, but maybe they are. But no, it's what's interesting is so they have the top down isometric view in 3D, but you can now also move the camera behind the back of the little tiki menu control or whatever they are. And then you can mess with the depth of field. It can mess with the blurring effect. And basically, it's like a screenshot build maker. And you can now, new for this one, dress up your Tiki Man, all sorts of cosmetic additions. You can do all sorts of stuff to basically create like the ultimate screenshot as well as play a full tower defense game. <laughs> so it's kind of a weird, it's a weird pairing. It's almost like, a, it's like, let's stick Pokemon Snap inside a tower defense, but not have any goals. Let's just put the options there. But I mean, if it worked for Mario Odyssey, I guess it could work for this too, right? Yeah. So um, it has that. It also has local multiplayer for two people because, of course, it's a Switch game. They all have local multiplayer for two people and online multiplayer for four people. And like I said, it's out next month, and it's only yeah. $15. And Definitely going to keep it on my radar. I'm not sure. I don't know. I have a love-hate relationship with tower defense games. The one I play, to be honest, is uh, Plants vs. Zombies, and that doesn't even count. It's like baby's first tower defense, but no, it gets pretty tough towards the end. I, yeah. I, love, I, I love Plants vs. Zombies. Oh, I love it a lot, but it's like kind of a weird side step of the genre. Just because it has multiple lanes, I don't know. It, it's interesting because most typical tower defense games are just one long path, and you just set your turrets and defenses mm-hmm. to stop. I, I mean, the one of the first or I guess most popular ones was balloon tower defense, where you pretty much power up a bunch of monkeys. And then there was actually there was an interesting tower defense game that came out a few years back where you set up your equipment the way you normally would because you do have a set path that the enemies follow but then you go into a third person perspective to go in and fight along with your you're thinking of Dylan drawing western no it does that too though yeah yeah, that's also a a tower defense game yeah it's funny the genre for a minute there was so big like every game was tower defense game now it's kind of fallen to the wayside except for Dylan and I guess this now like it's kind of like it's a weird little revival almost yeah. Like a subgenre revival. But so so what was the one you were thinking of? It wasn't Dylan. Do you remember what it was called? It was it wasn't on the Wii U or the Switch. It was like some PS three, P Xbox hmm. three sixty game. I have no idea what it is because I didn't Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it came out before I bought a console. That that sounds basically like Dylan, yeah. Yeah, but it, you have like a I don't know, it, it was very some um, futuristic. Because hmm. it's still very corridory. Right. Cause I mean like I said, it's still like one path that the monsters take or robots i think it was like you right. robots and aliens or something well Star Fox guard in a way was also a tower defense game that yeah. i think about it i guess the genre isn't as dead as i thought i mean it's definitely not like 2008 to 2012 i feel like every other game was a tower defense game so it's definitely decreased but i guess it is still somewhat prevalent yeah but but yeah this one um there's a demo actually hitting the eShop on the 27th which is you know two weeks from now so if anyone wants to see what pixel junk's all about in terms of like the pure tower defense game here you go. Here's your chance. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna try the demo at least. I'm I like I said, I want to play Plants Zombies, so I'm not sure if I would like a full tower defense. I'll have to try it and see, but it certainly has a lot going for it. Monsters, so so time will tell. But uh, Pixel Junk isn't isn't the only sort of half genre revival of sorts that's seeing switch soon. There's also for those of you like me who are a fan of 2D arcade racers like Outrun. There's a throwback coming to Switch down the line called Horizon Chase. And it actually just got released on iOS, and I was this close to picking it just up. Just released? On iOS? Well, let me refer it. It was just featured on the App Store as the app of the day on iOS, like a oh, week okay. ago. Oh, okay, because I know for a fact I've played this. You played Horizon Chase? Yeah, I know I've played that many times. As It was always on demo units and Apple stores. 
Really? Yeah, Apple Store's always had it as a demo oh. unit. And they and Apple Stores have a lot of apps that you can't download on the App Store. Right. So I'm sure maybe at some point it was just like an early build or they yeah. just had like exclusive exclusivity. Well what'd you it. think of it? Uh, it's a fun endless runner. Yeah, I mean it's basically it's an endless I mean, well, you, it's like half endless runner, half outrun. Yeah. Or was it endless in the app in the iOS? It, right? it was endless in the app. Interesting. You, you, you pretty much just like keep going through your like some little plane thing and you keep going over ramps. Plane? You mean car? Well, yeah. Vehicle. Yeah. It's been a long time. I don't really remember. Oh, okay. Exactly what yeah. It was. But yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting because so they're they're retrofitting it. I it guess did, it's been out for a while, but they're retrofitting yeah, it for I know, Switch. Yeah, and, and I want to say it also just came out for PS4. It was announced for PS4, so PS4. that's where it's coming from. So they're retrofitting oh. it a bit. So PS4 and Steam are getting it first. Switch version is planned, which I'm taking as it's happening because that's what plan means. But uh, yeah, so what they're doing is they're calling it um, Horizon Chase Turbo, I believe, and they're. It's not turbo. Oh, sorry. I oh, shake, you're shaking your head. I'm shaking my head for different reasons. Oh, uh, I was like, oh, I guess I'm wrong, <laughs> but because you have the list of game names, yeah. I assumed it was. <laughs> I thought you were correcting me, but um, no, yeah, I wasn't. You know, you could throw me off an eight times just by shaking <laughs> your head at me. I'm like, yeah, I love Detective Pikachu. No, you don't. No, I don't. I guess I don't. Uh, but yeah, so they're kind of, I guess, making it more like a traditional game now. So it's gonna have 110 tracks which is insane uh 48 cities 12 cups 26 unlockable cars 10 upgrades to those cars like they're replacing the endlessness i guess that's in the ios version with actual structure which i prefer anyway endless runners can get a little tiresome because they're endless um but yeah and they're adding like a local multiplayer mode they're adding four player split screen they're gonna have online leaderboards you have online ghost competitions against friends like it seems very well-rounded and it's just kind of cool that they take this very basic idea of what Outrun was, which is ba- if you think about it, Outrun was like the pre pre endless runner runner, like you did just dodge things with your car until you reached a finish line. It's the exact same concept. But what's kind of cool is in addition to just you know updating the graphics or whatever to make it look a little more modern, they're actually like making it feel like a modern game while still keeping that overly saturated, super colorful, simple polygonal look and all that that those old '90s racers have. So. This cartoon is colorful. It looks cool. The only bummer is, like I said, right now it's only planned. So who knows when it's coming out. It's supposedly coming to PS4 and Steam soon. Like very soon. Like they announced it at Pack East or GDC or something. But we're going to have to wait a bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. But on on the topic of revivals and bringing things back like OutRun, um, one series that I think it's safe to say gets a lot of mileage from both of us when playing Switch with friends is the Jackbox series, right? Like you own how many of them? Three? Four? I think there's four. And you own all of them? Yep, and uh, while it shouldn't be a surprise that there's a fifth entry on the way, I think we are. You knew that already, probably, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's cool. But what we now know is that the developers are actually bringing back the original trivia game, "You Don't Know Jack," in full to Jackbox. They've done. It's kind of been there, but this is like the full "You Don't Know Jack." It's gonna be modernized and updated in a lot of ways. So you're gonna have the same like. Um, Announcer, the same variety of question I mean, modes. Had a, you don't know Jack before. The single player support. They haven't had that before, I don't think. Oh, not It's player. the full You Don't Know Jack. What they did before is they took You Don't Know Jack and kind of grafted it on top of their current structure of the other Jackbox games. Now they're like, one of the modes will just be You Don't Know Jack. And you have single player, and you have eight player support, and you'll still use your phone to play if you're playing with friends, just like in real life. In real life, just like in real <laughs> Jackbox. But also, like in old You Don't Know Jack territory, you can also just go solo and do the whole thing that way. And they're bringing back all the different question modes and things like, like the screw mechanic and all that oh, from the old one. Good. Yeah, it's cool. It's 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 funny because um, they are trying. I was saying they're not going to graft it on, but they are trying a little to make it match. Like, 
I feel like every Jackbox Party game is themed in some way. Like, it's a haunted house. It's a game show. It's this. It's that. So if you don't know Jack, what they're doing is it's a revival by a streaming company called Binge Pipe. And it's the TV show being brought back or whatever. And uh, the whole thing's going to be kind of themed around that idea of like, oh, we're reviving an old game show as a new streaming service. Basically, it's Netflix. They're doing a giant parody of Netflix. So kind of, kind of a neat little, little spin on it. But regardless of how they present it, I, I'm just the nostalgia here. I'm just super into this idea. Because like, obviously, I'm a Nintendo guy. But before I owned any Nintendo platforms, when I was like five... I used to play a lot of PC games that were on my dad's computers. I played a lot of, like, or that we installed for me on it. So, like, SimCity 2000, SimTunes, and weirdly enough, even though I didn't know much trivia because I was five, you don't know Jack. My dad and I used to play it a lot. Like, the original, the, the one that came out in 1990... I guess I was six or seven, because I can't think it came out in 96. Yeah, but, I actually remember playing that one, too, on, on yeah, PC. Yeah, it's really fun. It is. The, the one on, I think it's the Jackbox Party Pack... Two or three, one of those has a you don't know Jack, but the the other one, oh, I guess just the variety of it is pretty good. Because I mean, this one, I mean, it's the exact same yeah. mode every single time. Mm-hmm. Nothing bad with that. I mean, and it still has a lot of questions, but I guess because we've played it so many times, I finally saw one question loop, and that's kind of when we decided, like, yeah, we've played this so maybe a little too much, so we kind of took a break. Yeah. yeah, I feel like I feel like Jackbox kind of has that in general issue because yeah yeah, like it's great and there's so much variety and it's very smart to put them out once a year because if not more frequently because yeah it you will loop if you play them as much as you've played them and i've i've played them probably half the amount you've played them because i only play them when i'm playing with you and the group but you have multiple groups you play them with so yeah i could see it getting a little tiresome so it's great that they're just keeping this thing going and then roping in the old Mm -hmm. franchise again um i assume you're buying party pack five given all this most likely. Cool. So I will just lean on you to trip to play You Don't Know Jack. Or maybe I'll get it just for, to play my dad's yeah, time or something. There is a single player mode. And That's true. For one mode. And you should play something with your dad. Yeah, we, we did Snipper Clips for a while. Yeah, exactly. You should find a... This, this could be the next game. We still need to do Snipper Clips Plus now that I think about it. There you go. But yeah, it's, it's more of the point than just like, oh, cool, nostalgia for you and me and my dad. It's just so perfect on Switch to have You Don't Know Jack. Like, it just makes... It leverages the 90s nostalgia... It's a multiplayer match made in heaven, like Switch and you don't know Jack. They just pair so well, like it just makes total sense. Multiplayer is actually a knowable theme in a lot of recent indie announcements, not just Jack. Um, there are two other indie games that were revealed that I would say are also right at home on Switch for emphasizing multiplayer, and because and not just because of multiplayer, but also because they're reminiscent of some of Switch's most successful multiplayer games. Uh, the first one is Catastrophe. <laughs> Yeah, Catastronauts. There yeah. we go. It's a bit of a tongue twister when you look at the spelling of it. Uh, or an eye twister. I don't know what it's called that when you just look at it. It looks weird. But yeah, Catastronauts. It's... I think the easiest way to sum it up is probably overcooked in space. The funny thing is that there are over there are overcooked levels, levels in, in space. Yeah. So let me rephrase. Overcooked if cooking is spaceship work. There, <laughs> there's a game. I want to say it's called Prometheus. That game is a it's a PC iOS Mac game that you can actually play cross platform. Are you talking about the one where you all shout out? I need you to like pull the flim flam or whatever. No, that is um Space Team. Ah, yeah. So I have that on my phone, Space Team. Yeah. So Prometheus is um it's really fun and interesting. That's like full on hardcore role playing that is in D D and D Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Right. Because essentially, I'm like, a nerd. You don't need to specify D and D. Thank you very much. We're talk. I mean, I'm not just talking to you. I know. Um, yeah, like one person like plays the role of the captain. They using their device. They pretty much just look at the TV. 
and they see what's going on across everything. Someone is controlling just the missile, someone's controlling just the the power, someone's controlling the steering, blah blah blah. Everyone has like their own their own job. Someone does a communication with the aliens and then they have to tell the captain. The captain has to tell them if they're gonna attack or not. Right. And so on and so forth. They have to decide where to diverge energy because the thrusters need power because they have to escape a battle and someone has to target and someone has to aim and blah blah blah. So yeah, this is pretty much that and overcooked. Yeah, it's a hybrid. Yeah. It's like a more casual version of Prometheus and a more extreme version or a spacier version of Overcooked. Not actually. And honestly like I kept having to do like a double take because it, the art style is ridiculously it's similar latent. to Yeah. I, to the point where I thought it was made by the same developers. Nope. I was like, oh, okay, where are their names? And then I'm like, it isn't? So they pretty much just... Unfortunately, yeah, it just looks like they just ripped off the art style and aesthetic and just replaced it with... Instead of cooking things, you're using the fire extinguisher to, to, to put out fires, to or grab shooting batteries, lasers, to grab or lasers. arming torpedoes, or yeah, so, dodging solar flares. So, yeah. I mean, so it looks like a blast. It looks like, wow, something I would definitely want to play and buy, but... Because it's not maybe the same developer, I'm wondering if it's still gonna feel as tight and yeah. Controlled. It's I actually had to look up the developer. So these guys, there's some British company, and I was like, oh, they must be uh, same thing. Oh, they must be the Overcooked guys. Like I put that originally yeah, in my from, notes, and then I googled it. To, there's now there's doubt. I don't know. Yeah, I googled it, and, and so Overcooked by a company called Ghost Town Games. This is by a company whose name I don't recall, but what gives me slight hope is they have a very good pun in their press release. Keep your ship together is how the press release is titled, which like that's podcast level punnery. Like we, in an episode called "My Dear Watson," I can appreciate "Keep Your Ship Together," but I don't know if that redeems it from being a copycat and what that means about the gameplay. Yeah, so it's like a cautious optimism. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, I hope it does really well. I hope it plays really well because the premise is really great. I mean, I love Overcooked. I wouldn't mind a tweak of the mechanics to play it, but. I just I find it weird that we're at a stage where, like, the 90s platformer wars where it's, like, Croc and Gex and Tide of Tasmanian Devil and all these, like, non-Mario Crash Sonic characters. We're now getting that with the cooperative indie four-player keep-something-going-as-a-team genre. Hmm. Like, it's kind of, like, doesn't this kind of have the reminiscent, isn't this a little reminiscent of, like, back when it's like, oh, it's Arrow the Acrobat, who's that? <laughs> Like, it kind of has a similar... So, I guess when I think of that, I think of more like, this is better than that. But we're, I guess, seeing it through more... Through a more mature level. We're like, oh, this is like that. I hope it does well. Yeah, that's As as opposed to like, oh, I'm not going to play Vex because it's all about Sonic. I'm only going to play Sonic games or blah, blah, blah. Well, let's back up. Gex was actually a very good game. Gex 64. Yeah, Gex was interesting. Gex was was interesting because they didn't just do a platformer. They, one, it had the 90s tood that everyone wanted. And two, more to the point, it was parodies of like, seven movie genres or eight or and ten. Looney Tunes and Looney Tunes well only the first world was Looney Tunes and the second world was James Bond and the third world was I don't remember I I had a generic like haunted house one which was weird because everything was parody and then it's just like spooky things <laughs> that's not that's not a not a genre I mean it is but not in the same way yeah. so I yeah I enjoyed the, Croc looking back at Croc. it Croc Croc oh yeah I did say Croc yeah Morgan. looking back it doesn't look like that great of a game and I'm surprised I got through it but I mean, as a kid, you go through a lot of things. But I will say that the Game Boy version, Game Boy Color version of Croc. I actually remember that game good reviews. Yeah, it was really, really fun. I love that game. You know what was weird? I forgot to mention this in my Australia gaming tales. Tie the Tasmanian Tiger. The platformer from the PS2, GameCube, Xbox era. Like the one that got like 6s out of 10s, 7s out of 10s. It's like, eh, it's okay. You throw a boomerang. It's cool. Has a museum exhibit in Australia. 
it has a a zoetrope or whatever it's called the thing where like you know what I'm talking about the thing where it, like it spins, yeah, but then they put the strobe lights on. And it looks like it's animated. Mm-hmm. They made a 3D model one and put it in the center of a museum because wow. Titus the main tiger is a big deal in Australia. Apparently, there's a museum called Acme, the Academy Australian something moving image, Australian Center of Moving Images, and it's a museum for TV, for movies, for video games, which is actually really cool. Like they give video games their due. There's a whole little section by which I mean two place cards and two consoles all about Miyamoto hmm. kind of but yeah they have a section about like Australian creators and there's this corner in the museum just dedicated to Chrome Games and Ty the Tasmanian Tiger Chrome Games? that's the developer that oh. made it and Ty and they have like concept art and 3D models and a demo be... unit and like a giant screen running it and it was just like I didn't know anyone even Australians cared this much about Ty like I know Ty had three games but who cared this much about Ty? <laughs> And like the best-selling Tide has made Tiger. I'm like, what? Well, maybe Where? if you played it, you would have known. I, I I have played it really for five minutes in the in the museum. Oh, what do you think? It's a standard platformer. Like it's fun. The nice thing about that era is every, almost every one of these knockoff platforms from PS1, PS2 era are actually decent. Like there was no hor- there was no Superman 64 of the platformer genre. You know what I mean? Like all of them were playable. All of them were kind of fun. Like, Croc somehow was good on Game Boy Color. Like, there were none that were bad, Bubsy 3D? Well, that's new. That just came out, didn't it? Oh, no, Bubsy Bubsy 3D. Yeah, well, that, that... Okay, so there are a couple bad ones. But yeah, but I think that came out... That was on Saturn, wasn't it? That came out around the same time, if not a little bit before Super Mario 64. Yeah, yeah. So, so anything post... So there were, yeah. Okay. Anything post-64, I just wholeheartedly ripped off Mario 64. Like, it's hard to screw it up. No one really screwed it up. So, like, Ty is playable, and it actually aged pretty decently, all things considered. But, yeah, I just was so confused that there's a whole museum dedicated – or exhibit dedicated to – whole exhibit, I should qualify as the size of roughly the room we're sitting in, which no one knows what that means except you, but we're going to run with it. It was not big, but it was still there, and I was still kind of surprised. But, yeah, so super big tangent there. But the point is uh, Catastronauts could be cool we'll see that's multiplayer game number one worth highlighting multiplayer game number two worth highlighting if catastronauts is a knockoff of overcooked you could say this next one is a knockoff a new riff whatever you want to say on bomberman and versus deluxe and to some extent uh flip wars and it's called battery jam and the basic idea is you have four people on a map top down camera very much like bomberman and you dominate the map in your color by destroying a punt. So the map's like made up of... Wars. Like Flip Wars. Uh, except this one looks fun. Yeah, it moves a lot faster. Okay, I think it's that. Except this one looks like it has all all the complaints I had about Flip Wars. I feel like this one addresses them. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of people agree because if you... Unfortunately, if you look at the news recently, Flip Wars developer went bankrupt and these guys don't seem to be going bankrupt yet. So oh, that's fortunate. I know, that's a real bummer. Cause, especially because they had Nintendo backing them. Like, they should have yeah, because, I mean, turned that around. I mean, the, ga- the game was polished. It was just pretty slow it's too slow it's physically yeah, too slow it, it was too slow for its own good and mm-hmm. this game definitely does not move slowly yeah it moves really fast and what's kind of cool about maybe it maybe sometimes like, a little too fast i'm just kidding <laughs> too, 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 too much to handle just don't know what to do but no it uh to the point that's chaotic but that's the kind of fun you want to that's what you want out of something yeah. like this absolutely and it's kind of cool because it's not like flip wars all you did was run in like ground pound spots or ground pound people to get them away from your spot this one it actually borrows some stuff from barman in the form of what they call boom box which are not to be confused with boom blocks. They, you're not throwing EA Wii games at people. 
you're throwing these boxes at people or you're gliding these boxes at people or you're kicking them at people and then they knock the person down and the surrounding squares turn their color so no one actually dies bomberman style it's not like one and done you keep fighting but that's kind of how it treats the bomb system it just makes some you know these color battles but you also get items also in an versus deluxe store way which also has to do with changing tiles in your color you get items that will make your color spread in different ways and whatnot so there's a lot crammed in here for a lot of different games but it's essentially flip wars done right or bomberman done differently however you want to look at it so there's no release date yet uh but it feels right at home on switch i mean it's based on three other switch games that two out of three did great <laughs> so i don't know I'm, I'm keeping an eye on it it looks fun no, yeah, it looks like a real like th- new twist on Bomberman. Yeah, I think there could be another good addition to our standard rotation of games for yeah. the group. Which is a pretty big rotation these days. Yeah. Yeah. Switch is great for that. But I, I would like to back up for a moment. We talked a little bit about multiplayer, but we were talking earlier about the role of nostalgia a bit, right? With the like in context of Jackboxes, you don't know Jack, or like uh Horizon Chase being kind of an outrun sort of deal. Or even, you know, Barry Jam sort of riffing on Bomberman, which is a classic 90s thing. And it made me realize when I was putting this all together that almost every indie we're discussing this episode, they're all leveraging nostalgia in some way. Like, all of them. I mean, you got 2D platform mechanics and Double Cross, Bionic Commando and Yoshi. You've obviously got Horizon Chase, like I was saying, being outrun. Uh, you've, I already mentioned Barry Jam. You've got even, like, Pixel Junk Monster 2 is a throwback granted only 10 years not 20 but still it's another nostalgia thing and what's interesting is that more it seems more and more apparent that this isn't a coincidence this is a conscious reliance on nostalgia for switch success and it's like it's a safe bet that the things that make people happy from their memories will do well when you try and like reflect them back to them you know like it'll resonate with people they'll want to play it but it's interesting that developers and publishers and even nintendo are starting to actually really sort of lock in on this idea because there's an interview with um the nindy guru at nintendo damon baker he's technically noa's i think manager of developer and publisher relations or something like that and he was talking to kotaku and he made this point that within the first year of switch nintendo found that switch owners are more frequently gravitating towards something that he called a sense of nostalgia so it's not necessarily a game that they played in the past, but games that offer some sort of familiarity either in genre or an art style or just the inspiration. So everything we talk about on Switch, everything we see on Switch now seems to be leveraging that very heavily. And it's kind of a well-duh sort of thing to point out. But it's also sort of interesting because if you look at everything making news on Switch right now, not just what we talked about, it's still kind of true. I mean, maybe something like Firewatch is the exception, but... You know, I mentioned Pixel Junk Monsters too, right? That's a nostalgia thing. Or like Treasure, the guys that made uh, most recently Sin and Punishment for Nintendo. They're in the news right now because they're trying to retrofit Ikaruga, or however you say it, uh, which is a great GameCube. Yeah, which is a great GameCube vertical shooter, color-coded like Shump. They're trying to retrofit that to Switch. They want to do it in vertical mode too. They're trying to make it fit the Switch's screen dimensions, but it's a little too tall right now. But like that would not be a thing that someone would try to do unless there's proven success of nostalgia on switch be it one from gamecube or one from ps3 or you know going back to the 90s so it's interesting to just see how every and i literally mean everything chicken wiggle chicken wiggle workshop got funded which i know you backed right yep so that's a two e's platformer didn't do on 3ds it's essentially the indie answer of super mario maker 
like you get all these custom made 2D levels and then you can go make your own and share them online and there's a whole menu like elaborate system of filtering just like Mario Maker and like I said on 3DS it did not do well but then Jules Watson who runs a TUI put up a Kickstarter for a Switch version it got fully funded and hit a sweat, uh, stretch goal and now has a fully orchestrated soundtrack yep. so how'd it go from how to go from Bong Kirkhope is it? Or, or Dave Wise it's one of those two. Oh, it's one of the rare guys yeah, I didn't realize that. That's cool. But like, just conceptually, how you go from a game bombing on 3ds to having that much attention and money being funneled towards it on Switch? Nostalgia. Yeah, like well, everyone's banking I, on it. I mean, it came out way too late in the 3ds yes, life, and a lot too. of and a lot of people that backed it, including myself, were, uh, if it were on Switch, I would get it then because I have no reason to turn on my 3ds, right. and so I put my money where my mouth is. And that's also are. very true. Yeah, we gotta give credit to that being a factor as well. It's not strictly nostalgia, but. But there is definitely... I mean, it also reminds me of Banjo-Kazooie, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. The chicken Wiggle is literally a bird carrying a worm. And yeah, I mean, ukulele also banked on nostalgia in a more direct inspiration sort of way. Like, Chicken Wiggle has a cool, like, nod to it, but, like, yeah, but ukulele is, like, straight I mean, straight up. the main villain is also a witch. Oh. Oh, yeah, that's that's not that subtle, then. But but even more recently, if you look at, like, their, uh, just the other day, Yacht Club Games released Sales of Shovel Knight. They announced that... I think it was last week they announced that this series has sold 2 million copies. Only... It's a fair amount for an indie game. Yeah. And it's uh, Nintendo's systems, I bet this doesn't come as a surprise, make up the majority of those sales. PC was the single biggest platform with 24.4% of the 2 million, but 3DS was right behind it with 23.9%. So 0.5 difference between them. And that's followed by not Wii U, which I thought it would be because it's been out on Wii U forever, but by Switch. Switch, in a year has made up 17.5% of all Shovel Knight sales. Wow. Wii U is only at 14.3%, which is still higher than any other platform. It's number four. But, like, together, Nintendo systems make up over half of those 2 million units. And, you, I mean, on one level, on one hand, that's because, you know, PC, Wii U, and 3DS all launched first, and then it came to other systems later. But Switch had some serious catching up to do to become the third best seller, you know, one year in compared to, like, two or three or however many years the game's been out now. And it really did catch up because according to Yacht Club, not only is it now the fastest selling version to the tune of 370,000 units, it's also generated the most revenue of any version of Shovel Knight ever. The Switch one, the one that came late, hmm. is the moneymaker for them. And my point here is that Shovel Knight is quite possibly the poster child of this whole nostalgia wave that the entire industry is now riding on. And here it is doing gangbusters on Switch, better than any other platform. And there's still a new version coming out with the whole card game mechanic built in. And it's just kind of like, see, you can have a game that's been out forever, bring it to Switch, and all the nostalgia gears start churning in everyone's head, and boom, it's doing great. Like, there's no stopping this nostalgia train at all. I guess there be people. Yeah, I mean, eventually there will be. But it, I am actually kind of curious if that card game's going to do well, the Shovel Knight card game. So it's like a sub-thing within normal Shovel Knight, the next final update. But, like, I wonder if it has the potential to break out into its own... It sounds interesting, but... It's a digital card game. It's more what you're looking for than the Amiibo. Yeah, but that's the, that's the other problem, too. I'm kind of already settled in my ways. Like, Hearthstone, it... I don't know. It, it's time-consuming enough that I feel like I don't need to find anything else. That's and, fair. And the amount of investment you have to put in... That kind of goes for any card game. If you're playing Magic the Gathering, you're probably not playing Yu-Gi-Oh! or whatever other card games there are that dominate. Because right now it seems like it's just those Pokemon. two. Pokemon. Yeah, Pokemon. Still big. Yeah. Not as big, but big. And I mean, there is Valve coming out with Artifacts soon, so we'll see where that goes. But you gotta have that indie card game. You gotta get your uh, Shovel Knight 
cards. I was trying to come up with something weird. There's nothing. Just yeah. got to dig out your Shovel Knight cards. Yeah, there we go. High five? No. Okay. Great. He literally looked at my palm and rejected it, so that's cool. But yeah, no, the point the, the point I try to make is nostalgia is really a big thing, and perhaps the best evidence, or the most damning, if you're getting tired of all the nostalgia talk and nostalgia literally dictating everything on Switch, perhaps the most damning evidence is the third-party publisher announcements we've gotten lately. Because almost every announcement from a third-party publisher, excluding Level 5 confirming Yokai Watch 4, everything else that's come out since our last episode has been a compilation of classic games. You know, now together and playable for the first time on the go with Nintendo Switch or whatever. That's literally all the third-party news these past two weeks. So, in terms of sheer quantity of classics, the crown probably goes to SNK Anniversary Collection, which uh, I had a gut feeling we'd be getting some sort of compilation soon. You know, it's their fourth anniversary this year. I think I even said in one of our January episodes when we were doing 2018 predictions that this seems like something that pop up in a direct. What I didn't expect is quite this much out of it because we're talking 13 games potentially more they've only confirmed 13 thus far some of them will come in both console and arcade versions meaning you actually get to compare and contrast them because you'll be getting both and yeah it is pretty cool and then it's also doing games that we don't already have so to kind of sidestep the issue of metal slug and art of fighting and all that being arcade archives you can get from hamster on the eShop, they are focusing strictly on pre-neo geo so the 80s in other words so stuff like, you know, all three Ikari Warriors or Alpha Mission or TNK3 or those sorts of games. So it's an interesting way to kind of divert around the other issue, but um, it also means every single one has at least two versions because they were all in arcades at that time, I think, or the vast majority of the 13. And uh, of the games that did make the cut, not only do they have the duplicate version thing, they're going to have updated controls, they're going to have uh, the ability to save whenever and a rewind feature to back up if you make a mistake. And of course, yeah, there's... stuff that nowadays I feel is a huge necessity for these kinds of old. Oh, games. totally. Yeah, they're becoming the norm. Like the save anywhere is definitely the norm. The rewind isn't quite there yet. Like of the games we're about, of these compilations we're talking about so far, SNK is the only one that's confirmed it. But it's still definitely nice to have, and I think Arcade Archives does it, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah, so it's definitely a nice thing. And um, of course, there's also a full SNK museum where you can look at history of the games and art and promo materials and whatnot. So it seems like a nice little collection. And if you're a big SNK fan, uh, the publishers at NIS America also have a limited edition version for 65 bucks. It comes with a physical art book, soundtrack CD, and a big collectible box that it all sits in. So they're really, they're really giving people a lot of 80s SNK, which I feel like is the SNK that is not quite as popular. But hey, the others are available if you want them on Switch. Um, oh, and all of this, the entire anniversary collection, Switch exclusive. That actually, in a weird way, is the most interesting part of this whole announcement to me. Because not only does it show that that, uh, SNK and NIS really feel that Switch and nostalgia go hand in hand, as we've been talking about, but because it ties in interestingly with other comments that recently came out from NIS America's president, a guy named uh, Takuru Yamashita, if I said that right. I don't know if you've been following this drama at all. Do you know anything about this guy and what he was saying? Uh, maybe refresh my head. Sure. He did an interview. <laughs> refresh your head. Uh, I, was, sure, I think a shower does that, possibly. But uh, anyway, this guy, Yamashita, he did an interview with MCV. And he kind of said a little too much about the inside baseball of the game industry. So apparently, SNK Heroines, which is the upcoming fighter for Switch that SNK, or sorry, NIS is also publishing, that was going to be a PS4 exclusive originally. 
And then through a series of what's not coincidental meetings where I just kept bumping into Nintendo of Europe, Nintendo of Europe ended up offering to distribute the physical copy of the game should SNK and NIS choose to make a physical copy. Because it was going to be PS4 exclusive and it was going to be digital only. And then when they got the offer from Nintendo, who's guaranteeing they'd buy a certain number of units, they're like, oh, sweet, yeah, more money, okay. So now we have a weird thing where SNK Heroines is exclusive, is only digital on PS4, but it's digital and physical exclusive on Switch. Hmm. And that's all well and good, although a little weird. But he then, uh, Yamashita, went on to say that NIS's Switch games actually outsell their PS4 games nearly 2 to 1, which further helped them make this decision. And then the real death blow came when he said, and I quote, Sony is not friendly to small publishers like us. Wow. So he basically publicly threw Sony under bus, like, yeah, we ditched the exclusive on PS4 because, like, they're kind of – they don't like us, so we'll go to the one where we sell more. Nintendo's great. And he ended up having to walk that back, of course. He did a follow-up statement where he apologized for what he claims was embellishing of facts and that, you know, Sony's fine and everything's fine, and it wasn't – he said it was SNK that decided to do this. It wasn't SAK, SNK. It was NIS who did. As a publisher, they had the right to do that, da 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 It all sounds to me like he spoke a little too honestly, and Sony's like, uh, excuse us, and then he walked it back completely. But either way, the reason I mention it – is that's just further testament to Switch's current role in the industry. I mean, this is a system that, yeah, we get third-party games, but it's really the champion of, like, the little guys, the indies, the small publishers. And because it's helping those games so much, we are rewarded with stuff like Anniversary Collection exclusively or, you know, this endless onslaught of Nindies. This is the third... Third? Three out, three out of the last four episodes, we've had a huge chunk just dedicated to new Nindie announcements because it's, like, all the time now. So this is, you know, it's the benefits we get of having a system that's actually doing well compared to the Wii U days, where our episode probably would have ended half an hour ago because there just wasn't enough news. But, yeah, so that that's one that's one compilation that's coming. Um, that's only one of three, though. The second is that Capcom confirmed the first real details of Mega Man X Collection, or sorry, Mega Man X Legacy Collection, how dare I, which, uh, like the regular Mega Man Collection, will actually be released in two parts at once. Both come out the same day, July 24th, and you can either get Mega Man... Day and age where we can make very large format, I guess, games, especially like a compilation of Super Nintendo games. There's like eight of them. There are eight of them. Some of them are PS1. Some of them are 3D polygonal. Just keep that in mind. Think of all that extra space that they have to save. Uh, I think why they're doing it is partly to keep costs down and partly because they can get away with it. They did the exact same thing. They're mirroring what they did with Mega Man Legacy Collection, but the difference is Legacy Collection one and two came out like a year apart. And these are coming out milliseconds apart. So, yeah, it's a, it's a little weird. You're right. Uh, but, yeah, what you get is you can, for 20 bucks, you can download Mega Man X Legacy Collection, which comes with Mega Man X through X4. Or, or and, you can download Mega Man Legacy, X Legacy Collection 2, which comes with Mega Man X5 through X8. They're 20 bucks a pop. Or, if you want a physical copy, it's $40. And in traditional Capcom Western Switch release fashion, the physical copy is only Legacy Collection 1 with a digital download code for Legacy Collection 2. So you get X1 through X4 on a cartridge, and you have to download X5 through X8. In Japan, they get a physical release of both because Japan's awesome, and apparently we're not, and we don't deserve it. So that's where we're at. That's what we get. That's what we get. But cartridge issue aside, like forget that. 
Capcom's actually doing some cool stuff with this compilation. Like, they're doing more than I think they did for regular Mega Man. I mean, you obviously have the game music and the game art. They're also including the full Day of Sigma video that came with, I think it was Maverick Hunter X back on the PSP, which kind of explained, like, the origin of Sigma and all that stuff, which makes you wonder why the game itself isn't included, but whatever, we'll overlook that. But what's actually interesting to me is there's this entirely new mode called X-Challenge where you will fight against pairs of the Mavericks from the games. And you walk, you go in with three weapons of your choosing, you fight them, and then you're ranked. And depending on how you do and the score you get, you can compare against your friends in online leaderboards. Hmm. So it's like a boss rush of sorts that they're building in. Both versions will have it, from my understanding. Nice to see that it's like a little more effort than literally just yeah. redoing the bosses with a timer. Yeah, it, it's it's actually kind of cool. And they say it's going to be difficult. Like They really hyped up the difficulty in the press release. So I'm thinking it could potentially be cool. And, I mean, it all looks and sounds promising. Um I just I don't know why they're splitting it. You're right; it's a little weird, or why the cartridge only comes with half of them. But that's where we're at. I mean, compared to what else is going on with the Mega Man world, I will take the weird cartridge because the other option is that upcoming cartoon. Have no. Have you seen the promo I art mean, for that upcoming cartoon? It's it feels like it's gotten better. It's like I remember uh, from its like inception it's, to it's still now. Not good. I mean, it isn't, but. I mean, it, it felt like it was a lot worse. I mean, we'll we'll put a link for anyone who hasn't seen Bobblehead Mega Man, for lack of a better term. We'll put a link on the blog post for this episode over at Ramtown.com. But, um, yeah, it's it's something. I mean, plot-wise, the cartoon sounds reasonably fine. Here's a kid who decides to protect his, protect his city from evil robot masters. He turns into Mega Man to do it. But, weirdly, they drop Dr. Light, and now it's Sergeant Knight who makes the robot masters, which mm. is a weird random name change. I guess they don't want Light Dr. Light to be Mega Man and the, I don't know but yeah the thing I don't really like is the look because it's like it's almost like overly anime looking but not at the same time but it also has some it's kind of chibi but not at the same time like it has a big head and a small body which is kind of anime right and it has big eyes but the eyes aren't big round eyes they're like really oblong eyes that take up two thirds of his head for some reason it doesn't make sense I don't know yeah well, what was your like when you saw what was your? I mean, I guess you're like at least it's better than it was. But. I mean, the, the Mega Man's it's, Mega Man's design just was kind of off-putting. Yeah, the Robot Masters in the background look fine, but I don't know. I I might give it a shot. I don't think it's gonna be a like a self-aware kind of show. It, no, I, I feel like it's just gonna be like a like your typical action. This is action, maybe like slight humor, kind of like your what Ben Ten was before it became a another Teen Titans Go. Oh, they, they they meted Ben Ten. Um, not as much as Teen Titans Go, but it's definitely more emphasis on comedy than it was action. Before it was action, action comedy. Now it's the comedy with action. some action. Interesting, yeah. huh? But, yeah, I, I think Mega Man's I mean, gonna be kids first. Sonic, I mean, ignoring the fact that there's a game that came along with it. I mean, Sonic Boom had what a lot of people considered off-putting designs of the main character in the beginning, but actually ended up loving that show. That show was great. And also, the writers on Twitter are funny. I keep seeing their stuff get retweeted into my feed. No, yeah, like the the writing on that show is top notch, and it, it feels like after like season two, that that's when they're like, you know what, let's just like take this like full software like I don't know, meta humor, and it just works out. Like it's just really funny. They and really it, embrace that they screwed yeah, up and, knuckles, and, and, it, <laughs> and it feels like um, oh, everything just works out nicely. They even acknowledge the fact that they're always in the same like three, four environments, and there's only ever like four or five characters huh. at once or something. But that's yeah. pretty funny. Yeah, I I can't see Mega Man doing this. This show looks like it's really like a kids show versus 
a Pixar style. It's for everyone, but kid friendly, you know. Yeah. So I mean, we'll see. But and then the weird thing is, there's also now talk that there might be a Bomberman. It's not weird, but there's talk there might be a Bomberman show. So Super Bomberman R has done well enough. It sold nearly a million, million units on just Switch. It's no, now number one, to, don't give him a mouth. I know. Yeah, it's not coming to – and don't give him armor and make him all badass and put him in an M-rated game. That's rule number two. Remember Act Zero? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it sold nearly a million on Switch alone. It's now coming to PS4 and Xbox, and there is talk from Konami that they're looking to do a multimedia strategy involving Bomberman R specifically, which makes me think all those cutscenes from the game might be a secret backdoor pilot to a cartoon. So who knows what that'll turn out like? But it, see that one, it's already like, well, if they just keep that art style, whatever. I won't watch it, but I can understand it. Well, Mega Man, like, I don't know why they ruined him like that. Mm. So we'll see. Anyway, we—that's another tangent. We back to compilations, back to nostalgia. We did get word of one more classic compilation for Switch right as we head into the weekend. Actually, um, came by way of Sega Fest, which is, which is appropriately enough a fan festival in Japan, and it is called Sega Ages, and it is of course a compilation of Sega games. As if the name didn't give it away, or the location, or the announcement. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, actually, these I think the Sega <laughs> yeah that was worth a sigh. I think the Sega Ages brand it used to be used for PS2 releases. Like I think in Japan, what they used to do was they'd release individual old games on PS2 at a budget price, and then just call them Sega Ages, like Fancy Star or whatever. But this time around, what they're doing is it's a 15-game Switch compilation. It's being handled by M2. They're the guys responsible for the surprisingly good 3D classics on 3DS, the Sega 3D classics. Not to be confused with the reliable M3. Which is... You don't know M3? Oh, isn't that the... You load all the games on the emulator? Not emulator. The ROM. That's M4. There are too many M's. What's M3? (laughs) M3 creates... um, They're mainly known for their tape. Oh, no, I'm thinking 3M. That's 3M. That's three M. <laughs> That's three M. Yeah, and they are known for their tape. They're also known for weirdly technology things. They just, I mean, yeah. I mean, they they're yeah. just a materials company. They make yeah. a lot of stuff. Three different types of material. That's where the three M. I'm just making that up. But it sounds legit, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, but M two does not make tape. Yeah, they develop games. But yeah, they they did the three D classic line, which is actually really good on three D S. So could be cool. Uh, the game's slated to hit this summer. So far, they've confirmed three of the 15 games, Sonic the Hedgehog, Fantasy Star, and, of all games, Thunder Force 4. Oh, so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, I thought Thunder Force, first of all, of all Sega games, Thunder Force is not the first one that comes to mind, but I was under the impression that Thunder Force 3 was the like pinnacle of it, not 4, but... I wouldn't know one way or the other because I never owned a Sega. And I, I never owned one either. I mean, matter, the, but... I, I did play one frequently at a friend's house, but... It was just Sonic and Jurassic Park. <laughs> I'm secretly hoping that this comp... I mean, they haven't said this compilation's only Genesis. I'm kind of hoping somehow Crazy Taxi gets in here, but it won't. But, uh, yeah, I I don't think I ever owned a Sega either, actually. No, I, de- no, I definitely didn't. I don't think I played one very much, as I was trying to say. No, yeah, we um, had all our Sega games post-mortem. Yeah, same. Yeah. But that's what happens when you're a Nintendo fanboy in the 90s console war. You really have to pick your side and stick to it. You didn't see people flip-flopping between the Allies and the Axis in World War II. Mm-hmm. Like, same deal. But uh, what was I starting to say? Oh, yeah, the thing I'm most curious either, about. How did that go? You either, you either die a hero or live long enough to, to come out in your, in your like enemy's consoles or something like that? From the what? <laughs> 
I mean, you die a hero, become long, live long enough to become the villains one. I know, yeah. but honestly, it's a riff no, on no, that. yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a riff on it that pretty much said like, oh yeah, Sega before they were competing, now they're on everything. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That when they announced they're going through party, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, uh, I am curious though, what are they doing with this? Like, what does Sega Ages come with? Because like I said, PS2 versions they're all individual games, but if M2 is involved and they're combining them, I feel like there's maybe more to it. Because like. Why invite the game the guys who did the 3Dification of your 3DS classic games? Like actually made new games, essentially, just to now make an emulator. It seems like there's a little something more here. Plus, at the same time that they announced Sega Ages, Sega also announced plans to release a mini uh, Mega Drive over in Japan, which is a rather blatant response to the mini, you know, SNES Classic or NES Classic. But I I, I imagine I imagine if they're doing that, they need something to differ- differentiate Sega Ages from that, right? Because, like, I mean, more power to them for ripping off the mini console well, idea. Well, I mean, to be fair, but, like, they've been releasing, like... Full-size. Yeah, full-size yeah. classic consoles that actually play cartridge games. But now they're doing a self-contained, emulation-only mini console. But those weren't, yeah, but those weren't HD, and those um, also were apparently not the most reliable unfortunately i would believe that because they just licensed it they didn't make yeah it that, exactly. this so, is from sega yeah so this one like it's cool i have nothing against them doing it, it, it. and honestly like like yeah like it's just like like oh let's just take the idea but if you happen to own both consoles a long time ago or were a big fan i couldn't think of anything better to go next to your little super nintendo than a little like a genesis oh yeah well genesis isn't confirmed yet only mini mega drive for now well fine it hasn't been announced for outside i don't know what would go better next to your mini nes classic than a mini mega drive you mean your mini famicom or your mini super famicom gotta keep it in the same region but now i get what you mean yes um you give you this look of like you want to murder me uh <laughs> but no that i don't mind them doing that the thing i'm more confused by is like they need to differentiate a straight up console comp- compilation some way beyond just like it's like our mini mega drive but without the mini mega drive so either it's gonna have games that expand beyond what was on genesis or it's gonna have some sort of new modes or some sort of new things i would love if they did something like the maverick mode it from Mega Man where you know you're battling multiple Mavericks like some sort of mashup compilation weird thing for the games I don't know but it's all out this summer so we'll find out soon enough uh, what strikes me as interesting though about all these compilations I'm saying interesting a lot this episode everything's very interesting to me it's a fascinating world of video games but uh, yeah what what strikes me as interesting yeah, stop, about... stop um damn uh... what was the one that you said a lot last uh... episode you're... It's a crutch. I'm using it as a crutch for transitions. You're making this transition drag on. Dragon. Wait, what's that a pun of pan- Panzer Dragoon? No, it'll make more sense later. I just like I just wanted to say it. I just came up with it right now. What are you referencing? <laughs> uh, you're just gonna at the end of the episode blurt out the reference. I'm like, oh. But anyway, I am making it drag on. The point I was trying to get at is all these compilations, besides the nostalgia seem to suggest that the virtual console is truly really dead it's not coming back because all these companies snk capcom and sega were big supporters of virtual console they put stuff on virtual console they were literally the three third parties that supported virtual console and all three of them are now forging their own path with compilations of classics instead i mean the writing was kind of on the wall for a while. You could argue it was first on the wall when Hamster started doing arcade archives. You could argue it was there's more writing on the wall when Nintendo gave all its arcade ROMs to Hamster's arcade archives. And you could again argue that was writing on the wall. There was writing on the wall <laughs> when, when Nintendo announced plans for the Netflix style 
classic game collection where if you pay for Switch Online, you get a rotating selection, or you get games that you just stream and it's free as long as you have it. But these compilations to me are really like the final nail in the Virtual Console coffin because there's no reason for Virtual Console if Nintendo's doing one thing with their classic games and everyone else is releasing bundles of games. There's no reason that you would spend $6 on a Super Nintendo game or a Genesis game when you can get 15 of them for probably 40 So, I don't know. On the one hand, it's kind of a bummer because you can't, like, a la carte your cartridges. But then again, it seems like we're getting more bang for a buck, so maybe it's not so bad. But I think this is definitely the final sign that Virtual Console is dead. R.I.P. No. I know. Right? Doesn't it kind of feel that way? I mean, there's so much writing on the wall. Did you hear? <laughs> Did you hear about my novel on the wall? Sort of. I mean, you think there's still a chance? Mm, I don't know anymore. I don't know. I don't know if I want there to be, but at the same time, there's a few games I would have liked to have on my Switch, like just standalone, just have it forever. Which ones? But I don't know. I would. I would have wanted to have my Donkey Kong games again. I would want to have all the Mario parties on there. Mm. Um, I'm still holding on Smash to 64 and not have to worry about a subscription of some sort. Right. I'm still holding on to the dream that they're going to do uh, Mario Party Online and it's going to be a platform. It's going to be like a service, games as service and you're just going to get everything as... It's going to be free to download and you buy which Mario Party you want to like, plug in. I think it'll be called Mario Party Live or something. Probably. Oh, that's good. And it'll have online play for the first time. Mm-hmm. Maybe that'll be at E3. Yeah. That'd be nice. But yeah, there, there was one under... One other announcement at Sega Fest worth mentioning, and that is uh, the fact that Shenmue 1 and 2 will be getting a combined HD remaster this year. But you know what's weird? It's not coming to Switch. Is it? For a system all about nostalgia, for a system that's all about taking games that used to be home-only experiences out on the go, I feel like re-releasing the Shenmue's would have made perfect sense, and of course that's why Sega didn't do it, I'm sure. But, like, as of now, Shenmue 1 and 2, as they're calling it, is only on PS4 and Xbox One. Whatever happened to Shenmue 3, didn't they? It's still coming to PS4. It was crowdfunded. It's due out in 2019. I remember that game got announced at E3, and then people were like, oh, wait, is it Kickstarter? It's not the whole game. So so Sony went on stage and went, PS4, Shenmue 3, mic drop. The crowd went wild. There's that shot of that one guy standing up and clapping. I don't know if you remember that. There's one really passionate fan. And then, like, 20 minutes later, the press release comes out, and they're like, you can go kickstart it. It's like, wait, what, what was what was Sony doing announcing it if they're not financially supporting it? So, yeah, it was a Kickstarter. I believe 2019 is the earliest they will see it. But 2018 with Shenmue 1 and 2 is supposed to prime the pump for it in a way. <laughs> Problem is it's not on our system. And it just – it doesn't – like it does – it just doesn't make sense. Like I don't know. I feel like this is a reaction I had towards a lot of third-party news these past couple weeks. Uh, like Shenmue 1 and 2 not coming to Switch is one thing. But like case in point, the remastered Spyro trilogy – Activision announced about what, like a week ago, that they're giving the first three Spyro games the Crash Insane Trilogy treatment, and they're completely remastering them in HD in a single package. They're calling it the Spyro Reignited Trilogy. Eh, okay title. And unlike Crash, um, what's interesting about this one is, see, interesting, there it is again. Unlike Crash, what's fascinating about this one is that um, Spyro's getting a multi-platform release from the start. It's going to be on PS4 and Xbox simultaneously when it launches on September 21st, and yet no Switch. Just like Shenmue, it would have practically sold itself on Switch, I feel like. You got three classic games you fondly remember. They're completely remastered and portable for the first time. It's even being developed by Toys for Bob. They're the team making the crash for Switch. Like Insane Trilogy on Switch, they're the ones doing it. And yet no Switch. Yeah, Yeah. it might be coming later. Well, you see, I thought we were going to talk about this uh, a lot earlier, but... 
Oh, the dragon with Spyro. With, with, with your conversation about um, like compilations oh. and, and nostalgia, like oh, the dra- dragon with Spyro dragged on. I thought I'm like Spyro. Yeah, dragon, dragon. Spyro. You know what dragged on? The time it took for that reference to make sense. Yeah, because yeah. I, I don't have your your script. I, it's not a script. <laughs> it's notes. They're very different. Ish, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like the thing with. I don't know the thing with Spyro it's like that one bothered me more than Shenmue like I mean at least on like Shenmue we actually have hope maybe that Spyro is coming like Shenmue who knows what's going on but with Spyro Nintendo UK briefly listed the game on their online store like complete with its proper name complete with its full description and talking points I mean that almost feels like confirmation a, yeah a confirmation just because it's not like it was accidentally put on like Spyro's website or like a random Nintendo like, or, or, did it, yeah, or yeah. like or like GameStop or Walmart or whatever. Yeah, like, it was done by Nintendo. Like they have zero reason to promote a game to promote it like at all. Like there's no reason anyone would accidentally go like I'm gonna type in Spyro on our database even though it's I'm gonna not copy on paste it. the bullet points. I hope no one minds. <laughs> I just really love the game. <laughs> or unless they were just like this game is obviously coming to the Switch. There's no reason not to promote. Yeah, it's it. like they could just if call anything, up Activision. I'll probably get a promotion for being proactive, right? And then, and then you know, on top, on top of that, also Toys for Bob, the developer, they're not saying, oh, we'd love to do Switch, or oh, we're blah, blah, blah. They're just saying, can't comment, which is a sign to me that that means it's coming. Because if, if you can't I, comment, there's more to say. I always find that really annoying about the gaming industry where, yeah. like, the game is already announced. So like, why can't you just say yes or no? What, like, what exactly is hurting... Where exactly are they hurting if they announce it up front? Is it's, my like, it's like the whole like call. It, it's like we always get this with Call of Duty. Yep. Like, are we getting it for the Switch? Are we not giving it for the Switch? Like, or I mean, for Wii U at the time. And now Switch. There are rumors it's kind of Switch. Yeah, we like, talked about it for say Switch. Yes or no? Like we already it's... know the game exists. Like you gain nothing from telling us from not telling us no. I get Nintendo may want to have a big blowout in a director at an E3 presentation. Like their new thing. We talked about this. Um, oh, an episode two ago that their new strategy is like all the third party games they announced is like hey they're all coming in two, in the next two months wee and then they like end the video but like I mean for me it I'm, still hurts I mean for or me not hurts I mean yeah. for me personally maybe a lot of people whenever they do that I don't actually know how many times they've done that but whenever like a game is announced like Spiral like yep. for basically everything but Switch and then you save it for a later announcement I feel like that just like diminishes the excitement of the announcement overall totally. because it's like oh you're wasting a spot for something else that could have been brand new like yep. yeah i mean like like sure it's good that it's coming but yeah it's like, i mean yeah. maybe on some levels to avoid what happened with dragon quest i don't know like because dragon quest uh, for those who haven't been keeping up with this this one's the weirdest story dragon quest 11 was the very first game confirmed for the nx switch before it was switch before any nintendo games dragon quest and then it was announced a couple weeks ago that it was coming west in september on remember? only PS4. <laughs> yes, exactly. On only PS4. The Switch version is now TBD. The 3DS version is Japan only. Just nothing... I, like I kind of get the 3DS version. Like I see the logic there. 3DS remakes of Dragon Quest here in the US aren't super big sellers. And since it's really... like The two versions, PS4 and 3DS, are very different. It's basically like the, they have to do like double localization. So might as well cut your losses, Square Enix, and not release it on 3DS. I kind of understand that. But Switch is perplexing. And it was only after a PAX East interview with the game's producer did it start to make sense. Essentially, and I can't believe this this is really the reason, they built the game, they built Dragon Quest XI on an older version of Unreal Engine 4 that the Switch doesn't support. 
the Switch needs a newer version of Unreal than they built Dragon Quest on, meaning they now have to upgrade and kind of graft over the entire game to a Switch-friendly version of Unreal Engine 4. And that takes time, and that's what they're now doing. Hmm. So I'm thinking, perhaps for one reason or another, Spyro on Switch can't make it day and date with its counterparts a la Dragon Quest, and that's why we don't know about Spyro. And maybe that's true for Shenmue, and maybe that's true you mentioned Call of Duty, maybe that's true for Call of Duty, because that was rumored on Switch in like January, and pretty much unofficially confirmed, and we've heard nothing. So instead of announcing everything up front and then delaying it, perhaps their angle as the better PR move is to just wait and announce them when they're actually ready, because as I was saying, that kind of gels with Nintendo's format for the directs. Um, if you want to be real cynical, maybe they do it because they know people will double dip. Like, maybe Activision's like, well, hey, a bunch of people may buy Spyro on PS4 and own Switches. Will they want to play uh, Spyro on the go down the line? Or they bought Crash and now they own Switches. Will they want to play Crash down the line? Possibly. And they'll get Activision, no. I know you won't, but there might be someone. So even if they get, like, 1,000, 2,000, 4,000, 10,000 sales off double dippers, this strategy gets some 10,000 times $60. Because I feel like someone that, like, would want to take Spyro on the go that happens to have both consoles would want to hold out for it because they don't want to buy the exact same game twice because yeah. i mean it's it's not like this game came out the only, yeah i mean i feel like the double dip is already like oh i played spiral one to death i 100 percent of spiral right. two to death then spiral three like those are the people that are like you know what i would like to buy this again a remaster even though i played those games to death i'm but, sure someone's out there but no yeah I, I mean and that's fine i mean we like we got crash bandicoot i mean we love we played crash three to death but right we don't mind playing it again right but I don't know, for the Switch and PS4, like, multiple consoles on the same generation, I feel that's it's less thinking of a... too much. Because I feel like those people are going to hold out for a Switch version, say it never comes out, and by that point, there's going to be other games that are going to be coming out. Or they'll and... just get the other one on sale where Activision yeah, loses exactly. Money. They'll yeah. either get it on sale later or they just may not get to it until, like, many years down the line. I mean, like I said, it's a very cynical take, and it may only be a couple hundred people that they earn extra money off of, but probably it's, a, it's probably yeah. 12, is that what yeah. you said? <laughs> I, I'm banking on 14 at least. But it's yeah, dozens. It's just, there's dozens of us. But yeah, it uh, it just feels like it's potentially a thing they could do. Like that could be the dumb logic. I I, I lean more towards the Dragon Quest scenario, scenario where it's uh, you know, where it's basically like, hey, um, our game isn't working right. So instead of having you hold out hope for five years, we'll just tell you when it is. But who knows? Um, it's just kind of a bummer to see all these major third party games not come to Switch when they make so much sense on Switch. Like, what are you doing? All we're getting are compilations. All these apply to nostalgia, and yet, no. So, yeah. We'll end the news on a kind of sour note about games we're not getting, I guess. Um, yeah. There's not very really much else to discuss. There's a lot of cool indies coming. There's a lot of cool third-party games not coming. But we are getting interesting compilations, so hey, I guess it's a win for someone. But before any of that happens, there are games that are currently available that we've been playing. And in my case, that is Detective Pikachu. Um, so I guess I will share my impressions of said electric mouse detective okay robot jason okay uh, i think the easiest way not even the easiest i think uh, detective pikachu is ex- exactly what you expect it to be and it plays exactly how you expect it to play and that's my impression no like basically <laughs> it's just sort of like an old school point and click adventure game it's just starting a, P- a pikachu who's doing his best dan devito impression and just loves coffee because according to the developers they want to give him a pipe that's not kid friendly, so there you go. <laughs> That's why it's coffee. It's a different vice. Uh, but what I think what's surprising about the game actually is it all works really well together. Like 
the way not just in terms of the mechanics but like how it's connected together to the pokemon world without actually being a pokemon game in the traditional sense is kind of cool and kind of like broadens the world building of pokemon as a whole i mean like on paper a danny devito-esque coffee drinking pikachu seems pretty one note as a character but the developers actually they do a good job of fleshing him out pretty well if you go through the game story like the basic premise is pikachu's human partner has gone missing and he teams up with another human named tim who's looking for his missing dad who go figure is the same guy missing as pikachu's partner what are the odds of that and uh the problem is pikachu has amnesia and doesn't know how the guy went missing or why he's able to only be understood by tim in english so together they have to figure out what's up with tim's dad and why he's the only one that can understand pikachu and that's kind of the basic premise and i to be fair i haven't actually beaten it yet like this is a very story driven game i know but I'm just, i feel like i need to say oh, that oh, oh, wow. i feel like i actually need to say that because like it's a story driven game so i don't know how it pays off but going through it the story does offer more complexity well, I mean, more depth you're... than you'd expect which is nice at least as i'm going through it i mean because i mean for lack of a better term it's kind of episodic, right? Like it goes, yes, there's like, chapters. Yeah, like you go chapter by chapter. There's like a bunch of like middle mini cases that you yep. kind of resolve, but there's still that overarching thing. Yep, that's exactly right. Um, it's like a TV show with an overarching If anything, season. it's great that you're just giving impressions because would you say that you're invested enough to actually want to finish it? I think at this stage, yes, because it does, like it's really well Are you written. going to though? I mean, I mean, <laughs> uh, I mean, like I know. Well, for, let's 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 back like, up. Like, Do I, I want like, to versus will I have the time? Like, to... I, like I know you like BoJack. I know you want to finish watching season, season three. I'm, I'm, yeah, I haven't even started season four. I, I have finished season three. I haven't started. I mean, season, season four. I mean, also, it's like I, also, I, it's like I know you want to, but will you? I also recently discovered I have 15 hours of Brooklyn Nine Nine on my DVR. That's 32 episodes. If I'm because doing the difference between like right. because the difference between episodes. getting really invested in something and just enjoying it enough that you're curious about the end. It's a difference between making time and just waiting for that time to just show up. You're right. You're right. So, like, oh, because so, I find that interesting because, I mean, I know when you really like something, you will, like, binge it and finish it. Yeah. Like, when you are, like, wow, I got to watch it. This is, like, like Stranger Things. You were... Two still... nights. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think... So, is this a Stranger Things or is this a BoJack? Oh. Oh. Big put, putting me on the spot with or Netflix it... analogies. Oh. Or is it somewhere in between, like, Breaking Bad? Well, Breaking Bad is supposed to watch with you, and we only do it when we. No, oh, yeah, but, yeah, together, yeah, which yeah. is tricky because other people are usually come. And, like and, literally right after we record this, know, we're going out with friends. I know, so and, and that's a narrow long show. So that one, yeah. like the timing. Yeah, but Pikachu. The timing has to work. Detective Pikachu is a twelve-hour long game, so that you could you argue in yeah. chapters. Yes, like a show which you can watch in episodes. Yeah. Uh, at this stage, I am compelled to keep going. Will I be compelled to make it all the way through? I don't quite know yet. I assume so because it is very well written. Like I was a little worried the game was going to be kind of kitty. Um, a term I don't really like to use since everyone used to bash Nintendo by saying they're kitty. But honestly, like, I was a little worried it was going to be kind of kitty, but it actually isn't, I'm happy to report. So, like, there's enough depth here and interesting stuff going on and humor that it could keep me hooked. I mean, like, there are, don't get me wrong, there are occasional moments where it's very kitty. But uh, for the most part, like, the variety of characters you talk to, both human and Pokemon, they're different, unique, they're funny in different ways. So that, plus just the gameplay being pretty... Like, it, it's clever, but it's pretty breezy. Like, I could see myself finishing this one, yeah. So, so speaking of the gameplay, I oh. feel like I should walk people through that a bit. But, yeah, I could see myself being it because the gameplay is fun. Like, Good to hear, good to hear. Yeah, the gameplay, it kind of matches the – it's a little more complex than you expect, but not, like, overbearing um, vibe of the story. 
it's as you know divided into chapters and what you're basically doing maybe is, this will be your stepping stone to playing batman the telltale series because i did open the box yeah i mean it's, that it's that's not, all i got <laughs> it's not that different you're, they're both yeah. about detectives one's a mouse both, one's a bat they're both, both rodents both have missing well, dads well missing uh, missing, it's, 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 yeah, missing the term i'm gonna use one one has a vice of coffee the other has a vice of being a playboy with a lot of they both women have pointy ears they both have pointy ears they're both deep gravelly voiced people they both come to shocking revelations that's true it's true but you know what batman's missing puccinas they're all over in the city oh, they're all over Rhyme City and uh, Detective Pikachu but I guess it has normal dogs so I'll let it slide yeah. they both have dogs they're, yeah it has everything he has, he has this bat, game has everything he has bat hound yeah. what? that thing? bat hound? is that like super dog? yeah he has the he has the dog and it dons the now how did they not do the pun of bat batsit hound or something like that like a basset hound I don't know yeah, missed opportunity. But anyway, P- Detective Pikachu. Uh, I was going to talk a bit about the gameplay, just for anyone who's interested after we went down that road. Uh, yeah, it's, as you noted, it's divided into chapters. And of course, each chapter gets increasingly complicated with the puzzle. But they all have the same basic root structure, which is this mix of examining the environment, talking to humans, talking to Pokemon. Everything you find or learn is added into Tim's uh, case notes which you can review at any time. You can also go back and read any conversation from the case. Like, there's just a log that you just scroll backwards through. It's in the order you talk to people, which is kind of nice. So if you need, like, sort of context. Um, it's, it's, it's honestly kind of linear in that regard, at least in the early cases I've played. But, uh, like, you don't really get you don't really get tripped up because you're missing an item or a key point or something because it kind of just paces you through the whole thing. But once you're ready to solve the case, you then switch to this case file mode where Pikachu kind of walks you through your discovery and he'll ask you to place certain t- bits of evidence and testimonial in certain sequences. And when you do, then the case moves forward and the chapter closes and that sort of thing. And to be honest, my one pain point with the game that I had is probably the actual case file part. Like, it's not that it's hard. In fact, the problem is kind of the opposite. Like, I would sometimes get the gist of the case and know the answer. And this is the only area where I'm like, ah, this is kind of a kid-friendly game. Like, I get the gist of the case. I know the answer before the game leads me there. But it obviously wants me to go through all the busy work of getting to that answer, which is fine because that flushes out the story, you meet some interesting characters, whatever. But the thing that kind of trips me up is then when you have to fill in the case details, sometimes even when you know the answer, you don't get it right because you don't frame it exactly the way the game wants you to frame it. This is obviously an issue with any genre, any game no, in this yeah, genre. I know exactly. But it, I feel like I hit it with Detective Pikachu a couple times. So no, I know exactly what you're talking about. It happens all the time in Ace Attorney where yeah. you need to present something to a certain person. And you show it to them because you know they're related to it. And they're like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yeah. oh, my God. So then all you have to do was just talk to one other person first, and then you show them the same thing. And yeah. So it's kind of like that, but it's not even that level. Sometimes you have all the stuff, but you're just not putting the things in the boxes that it wants you. Because literally Pikachu's like, oh, we figured out what's going on. That's my Pikachu. Oh, we figured out what's going on. It's this, right, Tim? And then it's just like boxes. You just plop the things in in the order that makes sense, right? And if you get it wrong, Pikachu's like, well, that's not right. And you get, I have the weirdest Pikachu. And you get to try again, and there's no harm, no foul. It's very, like, there's no you, no game overs or anything. It's very easy. Well, I mean, what Pikachu going to do? Kill but, Tim? Yeah, <laughs> obviously. And a coffee-induced rage. But, uh, no, what, like, to give you an example of what I mean, like, how this actually unfolds, I'm going to, minor, minor spoilers here. I purposely am doing only the first chapter because I don't want to spoil any real plot stuff. First chapter is just an intro. If you don't want any spoilers, skip ahead about two minutes, guys. But if you don't care, here we go. Basically, in the first chapter, 
you need to show that a Burmy, which is a, tire, a tiny little Pokemon that hangs from trees and wears a cloak of leaves around itself, has a necklace hidden under its cloak. And to prove it, the game wants you to show that the Burmy lost his usual leaf cloak and had to replace it with a trash cloak. It makes sense in the context of the game, trust me. He's wearing trash. He's, so he's a trash pink? Pokemon. What? So it looks pink? He's pink, exactly. Yeah. Um, so what happens is when you get to the case file specifically, I want to say... Or, well, let me rephrase. What the case file specifically wants me to say is, I have evidence of this pile of leaves here, this em- these empty leaves I found on the ground. And this empty trash can a character mentioned to me shows that the Burmy now has a trash cloak because his leaves are gone and his trash is on. Right? That's what it's saying. Meanwhile, what I'm trying to say is, this piece of trash I found outside the trash can, because there's a piece of trash that matches his coat color, yeah. this piece of trash I found, and the fact that the trash can's empty and there's trash on the ground proves that the Burmy went and got trash off the ground because how did the trash from the trash can end up on the ground and on him, right? Same end goal, different slant on it. And the question's vague enough. It's just like, how did Burmy end up in a trash coat? And it's like, well, this is how. And it's like, well, no, that's how. It's like, <laughs> they're the same answer. <laughs> so that took me a couple go-rounds until I figured it out. And I see why the game wants you to say, oh, he got rid of his leaves and the trash is empty, thus he must have taken the trash. But I feel like you could also be like, there's trash on the ground, there's no trash in the can, thus he's wearing the trash coat. Like, it works yeah. both ways. So that, like, I knew the Burmy solution. I knew he was the key to it, and I knew all that. But because I didn't frame it how the game thought I should, it kind of got me hung up for a couple minutes there while I was, like, trying all the different combinations. Like, well, what else would make sense? So it wasn't, like, figuring out the case. It's more like figuring out the wording, which was, it's it's almost like, yeah, I don't even know how Barry's guy. It's like when you do a math problem and you find some crazy little shortcut to get to the answer, and then your teacher in high school is like, oh, well, I want to see the, this method. It's like, but it's the same answer. It's just a different route. So, I don't know. It's not It's not bad. It's not a big hurdle. It's just kind of like a small thing. The only other potential issue you could argue the game has is because you do have to go through every step of the process, even when you know the answer, you sometimes start to feel like you're on a bit of a fetch quest because it's like, oh, this character do this, and they'll tell you this to go the other character do the next thing. It's like, but I already know what will happen three steps down the line. But again, what's redeeming about it all is the story's good, the characters are interesting, so like I can overlook the fetch quest because I'm in it for the story more than the gameplay at that point, so it's fine. Yeah. It's just kind of a small little thing. But the game itself is really well presented. Like Cutscenes look great on 3DS, which is probably because they have zero 3D effects, so they're able to double the processing power. You know, they take all the, the two frames or whatever and converge them into double the single that made sense um but yeah that's good the uh voice acting's pretty good sometimes some of the secondary pokemon are just in the background or something they get they're a bit lazy lazily voice acting voice acted you know it's someone just going like like burmy's actually not bad but you know there'll be a burmy as you walk by and just be someone going like burmy like well that doesn't sound real but okay but uh yeah, cause pokemon like sound very real well you know what i mean like in the cartoon at least they no jason they don't all... i don't know what you well mean. let me explain in the uh cartoon they all have unique sounding voice manipulated things it's not like you walk down the street and it's just like pidgey pidgey but that's kind of how sometimes the game sounds i was imagine pokemon with their game boy 8-bit chip oh, see, i actually really as a kid was really annoyed that they never brought over the voice acting to the games because I like the cartoons, like Pika Pika Pika, and I, I want like, the game to go Pika Pika. I feel like, I mean, like yeah, I accepted that Pokemon said their names in the TV show, but the the voices, at least like especially once you got into um, Pokemon Diamond and Pearl, when mm-hmm. they got better chips and they actually make more believable grunts and growls. Yeah, I always thought that was a lot more. I always like that. I used to like that more. It, it felt more natural. It, it is it more made natural more for sure. Nothing's natural about you walking up to an animal. 
Like if I went, if I was in Australia and I walked up to a wallaby and it was just like wallaby, I'd be like, what? <laughs> oh, that's why. <what> <laughs> and I'd leave and I'd leave the country because that's not normal. Or go up to a kangaroo and it'd just be like, roo, roo, roo. I'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> but also, for the record, kangaroos, softer fur than koalas. Who knew? Also, um, just random final yeah. thought. There's a, an old trading card game of Pokemon on the PC that uses like its own sound bites that are essentially voice acted. But they're, instead of saying, like, Blastoise won't say Blastoise. So it'll just do, like, a very, Bruh. like, a very loud, like, roar that sounds, like, really, really cool. Like, they actually did... Like a really great job. So on. then they should have brought those into Detective Pikachu. Actually, in um, in that Pokemon Origins anime, most of the Pokemon are mainly just like growling grunts. Well, that's because it's a throwback to the old games. I'm yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm. I, it's just a personal preference thing. I yeah. realistically, yes, they not, should make animal noises, not say their names. But I've always not liked my the Poke name voice. Thing. Not my hashtag. Not my Poke voice. But uh, yeah, besides the voice acting, except Jigglypuff, that's the only one that like, I'll tolerate. Well, it's singing. Yeah. Yeah, it's just too iconic. I mean, Smash Brothers—the way you, you just hear it so much. That yeah. yeah, same with Pikachu. Yeah, same with Pikachu. And Meowth speaks English it's, it's, anyway, so yeah. And Pikachu, for the most part, just says Pikachu in most of the games anyway. Or Pika. Yeah. Or Chew, not just full Pikachu. But anyway, ignoring the small little voice acting quibble, I do actually really like the world building that Detective Pikachu does because you don't really think about it, but it's one of the few Pokemon games out there where you're not some sort of superstar trainer, you're not some extra special person, you're a guy looking for his dad with a coffee-loving Pikachu at your side looking for his partner, and that's that's it. So let the developers that Creatures, like, they actually were able to show a side of the Pokemon world that isn't like, I'm going to be the very best there ever was, I'm going to go fight gyms and po- go to Pokemon centers and go to Pokemarts. It's just like, you're exploring a city, there's humans and Pokemon going about their day, I mean, ultimately, there is shady stuff that goes on. There's a certain powerful genetically engineered Pokemon involved in the plot. But for the most part, it's literally like a slice of life of the Pokemon world, which is something we've never really had in a Pokemon game before. So it's just kind of cool to see. Plus, like I said, the characters themselves are pretty flushed out. Um, You can – one thing I didn't mention is you can at any time press a Pikachu icon on the touchscreen and interact with him. And depending on the situation, depending on where he is on screen, what's around him – any number of different mini cutscenes will play out. They're called Pika prompts. And they're literally just like little, like, oh, here's Pikachu interacting with an Apom. That's cool. Or here's Pikachu talking to this girl and going kind of weirdly girl crazy. That's funny, I guess. But it, what's neat about it is it helps make Pikachu himself actually feel multidimensional because you see him interact and react to other Pokemon, to the environment, the city, other humans, in all sorts of different ways that make him feel more than just like a flat stereotype of uh, New York detective so I, I actually think if you don't want to hunt these down which in of itself is kind of fun to discover on your own if you just like prod him in random places but I think if you buy the giant detective Pikachu emoji or emoji wow amiibo <laughs> and if you, you buy the emoji movie and then you drop Pikachu on it and then you scan it into your device I think the amiibo unlocks um, all the Pika prompts for that specific chapter you're in so there's a workaround but yeah in a nutshell I guess that's detective Pikachu point-click adventure starring Pikachu. If you look at it that way, it's everything you'd expect. But if you look at it through the lens of like a Pokemon game, it's actually really fresh and different feeling because thanks to its world building, its structure, its kind of slice of life vibe, it really feels unique in the Pokemon like library. So if you're a fan of Pokemon or the expanded universe of Pokemon, definitely check it out. If you like a well-done little adventure game or point-click game, check it out. It's... If you don't touch your 3DS anymore, I don't know if this is going to compel you to go back and play it. But if you still have your 3DS handy, it's it's worth checking out, I think. So that's Detective Pikachu in a nutshell. Thank you. Thank you. I, I worked hard on that. What have you been playing? 
Um, not that many new games. I mean, as you know, um, Hearthstone just revealed its newest expansion. On Thursday, yes. Yeah, on Thursday. And with that came the Year of the Raven, which means they literally took half of the entire card collection that you play with and made them banned and just banned them. They just got rid of them. Wow, that's... Now, now imagine if you invested in real cards, how mad you'd be. Good thing they're digital. Well, like if half your cards became literally just worthless pieces of paper. Well, Magic the Gathering does that. Oh, never mind. Every year, Pokemon actually does that too. Now I think about yeah, it. Yeah, every year they do that just so that the game doesn't get stale, so that they can design new cards because maybe one card that's like been alive for a long time kind of conflicts with something else, and if you combine them, they become super broken, and mm. the game just becomes boring and unplayable. Which is why they have the wild format, where every right. card ever is always allowed there. Your, but besides that, your Raven comment, real quick, reminds me. You know what phrase they use all the time in Australia? Not to keep harping on Australia. As the crow flies. Like, I've heard that in Game of Thrones, and I know it's not quite a raven, but they're similar. But, like, we'll be going somewhere, it's like, well, as the crow flies on the other side of the harbor, it's like, who says that in the 21st century? What? <laughs> anyway, continue. I just thought that was a weird answer. Yeah, so besides, like, just rediscovering Hearthstone right now in this little period, I've also, I don't know, I've been playing Rocket League a lot more. I know I talked about it before, but... We the both only, did, yeah. But the reason, um, I was kind of, like, I don't know, positively indifferent about it. I said it was not... I said it was kind of boring when you're playing by yourself, basically, um, just against random online people. And it was only really fun for me when I played against my friend one versus one. Right, I remember you saying And that. recently, like, I've been playing against that friend a little more, a little more, a little more. And he's still, like, a lot better than I am. He consistently beats me. But, like, I feel like I'm getting, like, a little better every time. And I feel like, all right, I need to practice a little more. So I felt like I had to play the, the regular, the other mode just a little more. So I played them a little more, started getting better, redid the tutorials, started, like... Like the other yeah, just like sport re- modes, like the basketball one, or like the other... Oh, no, just, just like 3v3, oh, 2v2, 1v1 yeah. against, like, gotcha. random people, not just friends. Like, the modes that I used to find more boring, but I guess now that... Um, I guess now that I've had, like, a goal, like, all right, I'm going to get better and beat my friend, and I'm going to play the other modes and use it to get there, and just going into their tutorials, their advanced mode, their medium mode, even though, like, they're still really hard... I don't know, I think, um, I don't know, it kind of sparked something, and now, like, I now you're super really, into it. yeah, I just got really super into it, like, now I, like, I just, I love playing against, like, three versus three random people online, as I do with my friend, although, obviously, I still prefer playing 1v1 with a friend, oh, because, because, yeah, I mean, 3v3, the chaos of not being able to communicate with your opponents is pretty fun, but also just very challenging, you want to score a goal, sometimes they, your own teammates block you, but, I don't know, just, I guess, I don't know. It felt like the game was almost new again. Like you're seeing it through this different light. You, you should give credit where it's due. You can communicate with strangers if you press a series of elaborate buttons that open a little menu that then let you press a thing that then says like "good job" or "you should get the ball." So oh you yeah, can. I know it's not. No, serious, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Like I mean, when it's I score, when, like, I, know, I know when I score, go people say like "nice shot" or I'll yeah. say like "nice blah blah blah." But usually, it's very superficial. Well, not only that, but, like, it's so tiny and in the top left corner of the mm-hmm. screen that when you're playing and, like, trying to score a goal or doing your defense, there's there's no way you're going to, like, pay attention to that tiny little screen until after someone scores a goal and you're yeah. kind of catching up with what happened. So it sounds like you got over the control hump. Oh, yeah, like, the controls, um, they went from feeling kind of weird and floaty to, like, feeling just right. Like, the just the mechanics of essentially, like, using your double jump, your, essentially, your boost to basically fly. Mm-hmm. Like, this is so many... Now the game just gets deeper and deeper. And then, as a result, because I've been playing it a lot more, I started caring more about the car itself. So I've made a bunch of loadouts. I've dug into the customization feature. I love how you could change the rev of the engine. Like, stuff that I 
didn't really care about because I was just like, I just want to play against my friend. Yeah. What does that matter? But now I have a car that I specifically designed to look like a Rick and Morty car. It's like yellow and blue. I have a little Mr. Poopy butthole sitting on the top and I have a more... license like in the game. They had that. Yeah, it's licensed. Oh. Oh. Yeah, it's like a little Mr. Poopy butthole just sitting on top of your. I can't say that twice. Um, <laughs> just sitting on top of your. Wait, car. let me interrupt your Detroit one more time. Who who's saying on it? Um, Mr. PBH. What's that stand for? I don't know what that means. Uh, so he's just sitting <laughs> on your car and like he like sways with the momentum of it. Yeah. Then I have an antenna that has a little Morty also on top of it, and then I also have my Samus car, which you can't modify. Yeah, but, I use the Samus car when I play. But that's um, I, I just love that car. I just love how it sounds like the Samus engine just like all futuristic the wave beam that's coming out of the back mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like it's just all great and also just because I've been getting so much into it you start doing a bunch of nice play sometimes so you start recording videos because the capture mode and Rocket League is just yeah they just added that perfect. recently the video capture it's a, yeah. it's a great addition I'm shocked they didn't do sooner and honestly it should have been one of the launch video capture and things. something they've added um recently-ish um definitely like way after we had talked about it they added a tournament mode which is really really cool. Like I love it's basically um, the Smash Brothers tournament mode, but done right. And the Smash Brothers tournament mode in Smash for Wii U wasn't that great because you essentially it was for glory. Well, it was whatever mode you picked. Like you, yeah. you had to find a tournament. If you wanted to do a one v one tournament with no items, that was available. But they were all final destination stages, and they were all two minute long matches for some reason. Instead of a six minute two stock match like you normally do in four glory they only give you two minutes so literally whoever gets the first kill is just going to start running away and that's right fun right but this one is like a proper like five minute match most scores and you progress on the ladder you get to pick what type of what type of game you want and i don't know it's just really great it makes sense they do it right because rocket league has a whole appropriately enough league of its own like its own esport league with its own championship every year so more yeah. so than Sakurai trying to figure out Smash esports where he's not involved in it. These guys, like, Psyonix organizes their own, so it makes sense that they know how to do it. Right? Yeah, yeah, and pretty soon, um, once I feel like I'm ready, like my friend and I, we're going to try to start playing 2v2s, and yeah, I just do that online and actually try nice. to and actually communicate. And It's amazing how different your impressions are it, versus in January. And it's whatever. easy enough to... Yeah, because um, I first started playing it like when we went to Japan, because that's when I really started diving into the 1v1. But... Yeah, like the game, it's just so fun. I could, I have, every time I, ha- I get a chance to play a game on the console, on my Switch recently, it's just been Rocket League. And I could easily see it being my my go-to game when I'm not playing Smash Brothers because it's... Wow, this it's, is quite the 180. Because it's so different that, like, they're not touching on each other's toes. And, like, even Smash Brothers, like, sometimes it gets tiring, like, after a few hours or you just need a break from it. And sometimes you don't want to go to another fighting game. So it's nice to have something that's a complete polar opposite that yep. still has a very competitive like skill-based side to it because there's literally no random factor to it. Everything that's happened is completely... For a reason. Yeah, like, <laughs> dependent on you. Right, right. Yeah. Wow, that's... I I feel like our impressions in January were premature in that case when we last talked about Rocket League. And I feel like I want to go back and try and get better at it now. Like, you sort of lit the fire me slightly. Yeah, because before, like, I was definitely like, oh, I suck at that game. I don't care. Like, that was kind of my attitude. Like, like, I just want to play for fun with my friends, and that's when it is fun. But now it's like, now I get really into it. Like, when they scores go on me, like, I start raging. Like, it's it's great. It's That's awesome to hear, yeah. That's what I love from Yeah, because I, I remember we had the conversation in January, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it is. I'm bad at it, but it's fun to just mess around with you. Like, I nope, friends are nothing. And I was like, eh, okay. 
But granted, I haven't come back to it very much because I am bad at it. But I guess there's hope for me yet. If, yeah, if you can I, get this good, I can at least get mediocre. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I mean, and all it took was just for me to play with my friend enough times that it, right. made me, it made me really want to get better at the game that I started exploring the other aspects and then and it just kind of came naturally. And and the beautiful thing is because my Switch was not left on the airplane, I have access to the game and I can start it back up again. Yep. Because I would have lost that. I would have lost a lot. Probably $1,000 worth of stuff. Yeah. So if you wait, wait, no, that's really cool to hear so that. So if you exactly. don't already have Rocket League or feel on the fence or indifferent about it, you just, it just has to grow on you. That's really it. It's yeah. kind of like Monster Hunter. Like, I didn't get into it until the Wii U version. I played it on the Wii. I, the only reason I bought it was because it came with a free um, Classic Controller Pro. And I thought the I controls that. were kind of sluggish. They was I thought it was kind of boring and slow-paced. I just thought, felt it wasn't for me, so I returned the game because of the controller. And... Sure enough, when they came out on the Wii U, I've only heard good things about Monster Hunter. I'm like, you know what? This time I'll give it a fair, a fair try. And obviously, like, the rest is history. Right. So. And now you're obsessed. Yeah. Well, I need to get back into Rocket League. So I'm going to go do that. I think that pretty much does it for this episode. Yep. Just going to... I know we have plans after this, but I'm just, I'm just going to go home and play Rocket League. So it's been fun hanging out. But anyway, our next episode uh, will be on April 29th. It could be a biggie. You don't want to miss it. Uh, Nintendo's full financial report for the last fiscal year so basically the full first year of switch will be released and there could very well be some big news that accompanies it there often is so we'll be covering all the numbers all the news plus the usual news game impressions too so to make sure you don't miss it be sure to subscribe to us on itunes on google play on TuneIn, on stitcher on podcast ag you name it we're there or you can follow us on twitter at ram nintendo to make sure you don't miss it you also might want to follow us on twitter because when we have the uh when I put together the article about the Nintendo experience in Australia and all its weirdness, we will be tweeting out a link, so be sure to keep an eye out for that. Or you can follow me on Twitter at jsr 7 and I will also be tweeting out a link. Or you can follow Angel at Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore, or where, he, where he will not, most likely, be tweeting out a link. So you have many options to choose from. But yeah, that, like I said, pretty much does it for this episode. We'll be back on the 29th. And um, do you have a sign-off? I got nothing. It's all you. Do it. I don't. Cool. 